a fresh touch would find it in you today, God. I pray today, Lord, that you would have your way in each and every one of our hearts. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody give the Lord a hand clap, a shout of praise, hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is here today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You guys can take your seats. I want to share a word from, from the Word of God today because it would be a shame for you to leave here and not know how to be right with God, not know how to be saved, how to go to heaven, how to stay there forever in His presence. Amen. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. See, we've all fallen short. I'm not any better. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't make me any better. Just because I worship on stage doesn't make me any better than anyone else. Because I sinned and I fell short. And I am not always perfect, but I keep trying to be. Amen? But we've all sinned. We all have sin in our lives. And that sin will separate us from a holy God for eternity. See, when we sin, it puts this block, this barricade up between us and God. And it's like having a brick wall between me and someone else. And it's like, I can't talk. I can't communicate to that person because the wall is in my way. And that's what happens when we have sin in our lives, no matter what it is. Whether you've been sleeping with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whether you've been, you know, doing drugs on the side. It doesn't matter. One sin is not better than another one. It all separates us from God. But when, I, when we repent before God and we say, Lord, forgive me. I am so sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for, you know, the specifics that are, that are barricading you from his presence. It opens that wall back up and the Lord says, here I am, friend. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave to your sin, but you are free. 
And who the sun sets free is free indeed. So we're going to have a couple of people up here to pray for you during our fellowship time. And they will pray for you if that is something you need to get right with Jesus today. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. I just want to take this time um, just to have you guys, just to pray with you over this. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we know that we have sinned, that we, that we have fallen from grace, God. But it's not a permanent place that we have to be, Lord. And I pray for every person here that, that they would know what it means to serve you, to make you the Lord of their life and to be free from the yoke of sin, the bondage of slavery every day for the rest of their life and they will celebrate their freedom in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people. And we pray this all in your wonderful and heavenly name, Jesus. And everybody says amen, amen, and amen. God is great. And we are gonna recite this. This is our confession of faith. And if you guys would stand again, sorry. Um, but this is our Christian worldview. This is what we believe in the universal church of Christ around the world. So if you guys would read this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Say hello to someone you haven't met yet.
on, make some noise. Give your neighbor a high five. Let them know it's good to see them here. We want to welcome you all to Metro Praise International, especially if this is your first time. We welcome you. Keep on coming back. For those who continually come, keep inviting your friends and your family. Again, welcome to MPI. Our service is here our every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. That's our family service where we have King's Kids in the back for children, infant to 11 years old. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate at 7 p.m. every week. That's our Elevate youth group for students 11 to 18 years old. So if you know anybody in that age group, this is where they want to be on Friday night. So invite them, pick them up, drop them off if you have to. That's where we're just raising our teenagers to just be radical for Jesus. Here at MPI, we have a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. How many of you guys love to love God and love people? Come on. That is our vision. And our strategy is connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to our life groups, mentor you with our 101 and 201 books, and then we want to send you out to do evangelism to keep winning more souls for the Lord. And then our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and then 500 around the world. And so we take that very, very seriously. So let's look to our strategy. We want to connect you. Somebody say connect. If you turn your hand out around, you'll see a schedule of life groups that we have for this quarter. We want to encourage you to find a place to belong. Pick one of those life groups that meets the needs of you and your family and be faithful to it. Connect to it. This is what's um, coming up for this week. Here's a snapshot starting today. We have our single mamas. Come on, single moms. Make some noise, especially if you're going. There's child care provided there at that life group every time. 5 p.m. today they're meeting. Wednesday, it's our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old every week, 6.30 here at the church. If you have children in that age group, you want them to be here. Thursday, we have our gang outreach every week, 18 years and up, meeting at 7 p.m., going out on the streets of Chicago, finding the gang bangers and preaching the gospel to them. And every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies for you. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the, the Vivid's house. Come on, for our very own Vivid's. Every week, 18 years and up, 7 p.m., you want to be there if you're an adult. Get plugged in. Get fed the Word of God. Be around Christian fellowship. Be encouraged on those Fridays. So get connected. Then we want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. We want to grow with you in your journey of living for the Lord. And then our 201 class is Disciples That Make Disciples. And we have a Sunday morning class with Pastor Jared and a Thursday evening class with Pastor Ellie. This is where we continue the discipleship journey with you and teach you and train you to be a leader one day as a deacon and elder in the church because we believe that every believer should be a leader, that God has called us all to use our gifts and our talents to build up the church and to keep winning souls. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism. So every Saturday from 5 to 8, we're on the streets preaching the gospel. That's where you get trained. So every life group has a form of evangelism in it. But this is where you're on the streets preaching the gospel, giving a reason for the hope that you have to complete strangers. It's awesome. We want you to do it on your job. We want you to do it on the bus stop. We want you to do it on the bus and to your neighbors and your family. That's also evangelism, but it's also on the streets. So meet our people out here on Saturdays. You meet at the church at 5 o'clock and get trained. Be excited. Don't be scared. Don't be nervous. So join them on those days. And then so our vision, strategy, and goal Vision, loving God, loving people, strategy, connect, mentor, send, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If that makes you excited, say amen.
Praise the Lord. We're going to be learning about tithes and offerings. Our tithe is 10% of our total income given regularly to the church. It all belongs to the Lord. Offering that we designate is towards missions and building. That's where we designate our offerings here at MPI. We give towards various mission projects throughout the year. And then we're also in a building fund right now, currently raising the monies to buy and purchase our new band equipment. So this whole stage and the worship team is going to have new stuff. So even if you're not on the worship team, that should be very exciting for you because it's going to sound amazing. So we want to thank you for those that have partnered and joined with us. And we'll get back to that in just a little bit. But today we're going to learn in the Disciples Giving book, lesson four, the tithe is relevant for today. We are on section one. It's all about tithing. As the year passes by, as the weeks pass by, there's, there's four different sections, and it's, some is about offering, and there's other topics. But this is just all about the tithe. And so we have to understand that the tithe is still relevant for today. And as we're studying the scriptures, we're going to be reading in Matthew 23, 23. The definition of tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. If you're at Matthew 23, 23, say amen. You could look up there. You could turn in your Bibles. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Here are two main points from that passage of Scripture. Number one, Jesus commended the Jews for tithing. The Jewish leaders were rebuked for many things, but being faithful in tithing was something Jesus complimented. And so they were rebuked for not doing the faithfulness, for not give, showing mercy. But when it came to them tithing, they did that right. And so what we want to make sure is that we understand that our salvation isn't because we're tithers. We also have to show the character of Christ. So there has to be a balance of our life, of, in our life of tithing and being Jesus to the world following his commands. Number two, tithing by itself is not all God wants. God wants more than just our wallets. He also wants our hearts. We should practice both tithing and justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It's not either or, but rather both and. So we want to honor God in every area of our life, and that includes our character, how we're living for him, following his commands, and tithing. Here's a summary. Jesus was concerned with people giving their best to God in tithing, and he wanted people to be full of love for others. Therefore, we should do both today as well. Who wants to do that? Come on. Let's apply this in two ways. Number one, be faithful in tithing. And number two, don't hide your disobedience behind giving money. Be sure to both tithe and be obedient to all of God's other commands. So if you want to do that with me, let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel. Revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If you want to be that today, let's stand up to our feet as we partner together with the Lord to see his will come on this earth. We're going to prepare to give God our very best, our tithes and offering. Again, it's tithe is 10% of our total income. We designate our for offering towards missions and building. And just a reminder, uh, to make sure that the amounts that you want to go towards each category that is plainly shown on the envelope so we can allocate the funds properly under your name. 
Here are four ways that you could give here at MPI. Number one, in the bucket during the offering here at the front. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry for that. And number four, online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, or BillPay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So we just want to make it very convenient for you guys, different options, and um, just to help you make, you know, make your commitment to the Lord that much more effective. Let's recite this verse together. Oh, here's our new band equipment really quick. This is where we're asking you guys to join and partner with us for 2016. Uh, well, number one, pray, ask God what you should give and commit to it. Number two, listen to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to what he's telling you to give. And three, give generously and faithfully to the Lord. Let's recite this verse together. Philippians 4:18. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundant grace and abundant provision in our lives. I pray this afternoon that you would bless the gift and the giver. I pray that you would meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that you would bring promotions and raises, favor your people, O oh God. We put you first in our tithes and offerings. We put you first in our finances because we know that you are not a man that you should lie, that you will take care of us, O oh God. So I pray that you would bless and increase the giving today, that we would continue to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this afternoon, and we thank you so much for your generosity and support. I know, I know, I know, I know. Choices made to stand upon the word. I know, I know, I know. Man, if you guys are ready for an ordination service, let me hear a whoop, whoop. Amen. We are going to ordain two special pastors in our church. Open up your Bibles with me quickly to Titus. I love seeing visitors here today, both for the ordination service and those coming on their own. Thank you. I am Joe. My wife was Nancy, and we're your friendly neighborhood pastors. Just loving Jesus and loving you, as cute and cuddly as you are. It is going to be awesome as the service continues on, so don't go anywhere. But I am so excited right now about what we do here when it comes to ordination. I'm going to ask that Tony and Jerry would come now, and then we will hand clap and make a lot of noise for them later. Or you can do it now. Go ahead. Tony and Jerry Vivid. I just want you to know who I'm talking about as we're talking about them, okay? When you uh, go to Titus chapter... 1 verse 5 and onward you see Paul writing to his associate Titus and this is what he says to him he says the reason I left you in Crete which was a city he said the reason why I left you there was that you might put in order everybody say put it in order 
Thank you. Put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the job of Titus was to stay in Crete, set things in order, and the first order of business was to put elders in charge. And so our church is a Presbyterian model church. And what that means is we build upon the elders. Elders are a part of the Bible and they're the leadership that God uses. We're also a fivefold ministry church. We're Ephesians says that the fivefold ministry gifts are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Here's how we personally interpret this. We believe that those who God anoints by giving them those gifts are those then he appoints in the church in the office of elder or deacon, and deacon is a servant leader, and we do that at another time when there's a lot of them graduating from our 201 discipleship class. Now, if you guys are here, you came at the perfect time because at the beginning of the year, we go over everything, and today message is going to go over our discipleship strategy. So what we have here is the best of the best of the best right here. What Jerry and Tony have done, have, have they have come to the highest level of leadership in our church. So what this means is they gave their heart to Jesus Christ in salvation. They dedicated their lives to discipleship. Tony did that at another church before he was with us, and his mother is here, and he has a godly heritage. Jerry, however, was raised in a Christian family, took some time off from God to do her own thing, if you know what I mean, and found a flyer to our church at, at the uh, sidewalk in front of her bar and came back and gave her heart to Jesus, which is awesome and has been rocking and rolling ever since, okay? So they both gave their heart to Jesus. Then in this church, they then dis, uh, committed to our discipleship process, which you heard about in our announcements, and you've heard it every week since you've ever been a part of the church because that's what we announce every single week. And today we have a whole message on our discipleship strategy so you get to hear the whole thing. But here's the cool thing. They did it in excellence. Then they had to show that they wanted to be a servant leader in the church, be a deacon, and they graduated and became that. Next, they had to show a call of ministry. Jerry had expressed that she wanted to be in ministry, joined the Bible college, and began to get her bachelor's in biblical studies. Now, this is a non-denominational church, Metro Praise, but we are an association, a relationship with an Assembly of God Bible college that offers accredited bachelor's and master's degree via the internet. We are what they call a cohort or an extension site. You have to have at least 10 students, so they just don't want individual students doing it on their own. You have to give them a classroom setting. And by God's grace, we have always had right around 10 students, averaging around 12 or 13 for about the last eight years. Amen. And that is something to give God glory for. Jerry went to that Bible college and then graduated as, uh, what do you call that, the highest thing? Magna cum laude. Give it up for her. She's awesome. And then Tony's story, a little bit different, gave his heart to Jesus growing up with his mother, received a call into Bible college, went to North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, hung out with a lot of my friends there, a lot of good guys. He himself did great things for God, served the Lord there. He then came back home with his Bachelor's of Arts degree to Chicago and then worked for a church for a time. But a little part of his story is that his little heart was hurt during that time. And that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big thing to hurt a guy's heart like that and he and and I say this in all sincerity because ministry hurts sometimes and he wasn't sure if whether or not ministry was for him I mean everybody go oh 
He went to Bible college. He worked in the ministry, and he wasn't sure if it was for him. Am I, am I making you look bad or good? I don't know yet. I'm looking at. Is this making you look good? I'll keep going. Okay, sorry. And then, and then I, and then I came to know him because he was looking for a new church. He came to our campus. I was meeting at that time at Wicker Park, and then he followed us here as we launched here. And I began to discover he has an awesome call of God on his life, and I couldn't figure out where was the disconnect. And I began to hear his heart of hurt in the church. You know, sometimes hurt people hurt people. And his his heart was wanting to get healed, and God had healed him, but he wasn't sure if ministry was still for him because he went and got his degree to be a massage therapist. He's also working in that field. But I said, brother, I sense God upon your life. And also, in between there, by the way, they got into a relationship, and that really made it happen. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, snap. Because, like, when I saw him like her, I'm like, she's got a call of God. And it doesn't just happen by osmosis, but I was like, if you guys are getting together, there's got to be a dynamic duo thing happening. And I flew out to Arizona and did their wedding. So anywho, they are married. But when I dealt with his heart as a pastor, gently like heart surgery, man, I saw that he still had an awesome call on his life. So to become a pastoral elder, which is what they're going to be doing, you have to be saved. Go through our discipleship, graduate as a deacon, do well in serving, have accredited Bible college degree regarding ministerial training, then do a year of internship, and after that point, the other elders need to see that their life is worthy of the calling so that people can call them pastor rightly so. Can I hear amen to that? And and, and the term pastor just gets used generically in the church today, just really means a shepherd, a leader, and so we do apply that to to all of our elders and deacons, uh, just in a uh, an adjective, in a sense of a deacon pastors the person they're discipling in our church, an elder pastors the person they're loving. But when we call you a pastoral elder, what we're really saying is that you are a teaching, leading elder. You are the kind of elder that will be running things in this church. Does that make sense? We've kind of created our own system, and so now you guys are all caught up. They understand it, and that's what's awesome, is we've put uh, things in place, and now they're putting things in order. Paul said to Titus, put things in place so that those people can put them in order. And these guys have been the best of the best. And so what we want to do today is we want to do a couple things. We want to affirm them today and say, you are now our pastor. You're our leader. And I believe this to the the most utmost, all right? Even for me, they're my pastors as well. Because when Jesus was with with his disciples and his mother and father were outside and and they thought they could, I mean, his mother and brother and sisters were outside, they they thought they could pull rank on Jesus. And and they said, uh, people came to him and said, hey, they're out there, your mother, your brothers are out there, and they're looking for you, and they want you to come. And then Jesus said, no, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? Those here who do the will of God. So who are my pastors? Who are my leaders? Who teach me? Those who do the will of God, those in this position. So as they're teaching you, they're also teaching me. Does that make sense? Uh, let, me, let me help explain it a little bit. Rewind, okay? Let's pretend you're a doctor, and now you need surgery. Do you let another doctor do surgery on you, or do you do surgery yourself? Did I lose you on that one? How much more simpler can I make this? I'm trying. Are we all here today? Okay, imagine you're a doctor. You get sick. Do you operate on yourself or do you get another doctor to do it? These are the doctors of the soul in the church. And I'll tell you what, we take more serious what we're doing here than the Catholic Church does appointing the Pope because the Pope couldn't even be this here. 
Are you listening to me? I don't even know if the Pope is saved, and I don't, definitely don't think he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I don't want you to think, oh, that's that cute. They just made a little path through here today. No, this person pastors the Pope. I want you to get that in your mind. This person has authority over the bishops and cardinals of massive, of massive cathedrals around the world. They have heaven's keys of authority over them. Okay, so now you've learned something new about why we're Protestants, okay? We protest Rome's authority. So I just want you guys to get this is the authority. And today's message is going to be so hot, and it's coming. It's going to come hot. It's going to come hot today, so you all just better be ready. I'm already, like, wanting to start preaching it right now. But the bottom line is this. If, if Paul was here right now, this is what he would be doing. This is what he would be doing, appointing people to get an order. He wouldn't have them wearing funny hats. He wouldn't have them carrying staffs. He wouldn't have them dress up like mother and be called father because Jesus told us to call no man father except that heavenly father. It's in your Bible. Don't get mad at me if I'm offending you. Be happy I'm offending you because someone's telling you the truth. Amen? If you keep putting two plus two is five and then someone comes along and says it's four, don't be mad at that person. That one's actually your friend. Your friend's finally telling you what mathematics is. This is the Bible. This is what it is. Amen? Amen. So back to you guys. It's not about rebuking the Pope today. It's about your guys' ordination. As you guys love this church. This is part of what you love. Like your ordination service should not be any different than this. Like if it was like some like weird solemn thing, Jesus wouldn't be in that, right? Like because that's not who Jesus was. Jesus called his people to him and he said, let's go out and change the world. Does anybody remember Jesus? Does anybody remember Jesus here? Does anybody know how he made leaders? Kind of like this, just without a microphone. He's like, hey, Peter, come on, let's go. Mary, Martha, let's go. That's what we're doing. And in our church, what that means, that, what that means is we want to pray and bless you guys and, and ask everyone to consider you their pastor, as I do. You could pastor me. You can rebuke me of sin. You can teach me. Amen? Uh, we share this together. We are mutually submitting one to another and what God has here. And, I, and that's what I love about this church is it's not a one-man show. The next thing that we want to do is we want to pray for them to encourage them, to let them know that we're going to also lift them up during the weeks ahead and the challenges that they face as pastors. So think about this. You guys all have a certain amount of friends that you hang out and do stuff with. You are now their responsibility. So imagine the life that you have to have with all the responsibility. Now all of you have become their responsibility because their assignment in our church is to be campus pastors over the second service. So the first service has a set of pastors and now the second service. And what that means is they'll be doing marriage counseling. And marriage counseling is only fun before they get married, okay? After they get married and they come back for counseling, that ain't fun after that, okay? It can get a little messy. It can get a little messy. Pray for them. Some of y'all looking at me like, why, why are you saying that? Because church is real, guys. Church is real, okay? Not only will they do marriage counseling, they'll do need-based counseling. And need-based counseling, give or take, it's, it can sometimes be easy. Somebody's like, I just need some advice. Okay, somebody can have a lot of problems and make it hard on them and keep them there for three, four hours. Trust me, I've been up till 2 in the morning trying to get through things to people, okay? Now, don't you be shy about getting counseling, okay? I want to let you know they are available for that. But we want to pray for them. 
marriage counseling, need-based counseling, and now they've opened up their home for the Bible study, and uh, they're doing awesome, and they're already going beyond the, uh, the, the things that we set up for them, and I'm having a competition between them and the first one, and they are doing awesome. Yeah, you better come to theirs. They had 16 people in their house, which is amazing. So we're going to affirm them our pastors. We're going to pray for them, and then now I'm going to let them talk, and they can share whatever they want. Just know that we'll just be here for a long time today, but they want to hear you more than they want to hear me, and I'll probably preach for an hour and a half anyways, so just take all the time you want. Wow. <laughs> uh, man, um, yeah, God is good. Um, I remember, uh, well, Jerry and I, we got married uh, at the beginning of last year, and so uh, we made it We made it through a year of marriage, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been awesome. We've been, we've been blessed, and I remember when we came back from Arizona from our wedding, um, Pastor Joe called us into his office, and then uh, he pretty much, uh, and at first I'm like, oh, what's going on? Is this like a, are we in trouble of some sort? <laughs> like, I mean, but then um, he just basically came to us and said, um, you know, you, you know that we're starting a second service and, uh, on Easter Sunday. Actually, this Easter will be a year of our second service. And uh, yeah, I remember he was telling us that we would like you guys to be the pastors, campus pastors of a second service. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> oh no, I, but I was like, man, this is, wow, really? Us? I mean, we had just gotten, we, we had just gotten married, and, uh, you know, we both had a call to ministry. And uh, I think for us, we just, we weren't certain as to when we would fulfill that call. And then... Um, you know, Pastor Joe told us, you know, we would like you guys to, you know, think about it and pray about it. And then uh, I remember, I, I think it was like around, right around this time last year that um, we gave him our answer. And we said, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go for this. Let's make this, this service our service and, and continue to see uh, the church grow. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yeah, uh, it's been a, a very awesome year. Mm. A lot has happened in our years and, you know, we've, like I said, we celebrated a year of marriage, and uh, you know our, our son. Yeah, we have a three-month-old, and yeah, yes, yes, that's my. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> but uh, you know we we are truly blessed, and we're we're blessed to be a part of a, a leadership here, um, being under uh, Pastor Joe and Nancy, as well as uh, the other pastoral elders, um, Berto and Gazella, and and even the the deacons. I mean, man, awesome, awesome men and women of God that we could serve alongside with. And so um, we're just uh, we're just happy that uh, you know we are we are in this position, and uh, we hope that we could uh, we could do our best and to to serve you guys as your as your pastors. And so, yeah, and uh, I just wanted to add that. Uh, <laughs> yes, clap for him. <laughs> he's the quiet one. He's he's the gentle one. I'm less gentle. Um, but, you know, like, it was just something that brought us to the church was the discipleship model. You know, I know that Tony had, had told me, you know, when we were dating, you know, it was something that he lacked so much. And, th and it's something that I lacked so much growing up in and out of church. And it was finally like, oh, somebody's going to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one. They're going to help me sift through all my junk. And, you know, P. Joe has this way of saying, from the ghetto to the pento. And, uh, and that's really what it was. I was backslidden. I was broken. And the reason I know discipleship works is because I'm standing here. 
You know, without discipleship, I would have just stayed broken. I would have just stayed hanging out at the bar, hanging out at the club, you know, um, and just keep going down that road. But instead, you know, there were people that loved on me and invited me into their home and had Bible studies with me and helped me, you know, and corrected me when I needed to be corrected and rebuked me when I needed to be rebuked and encouraged me to keep walking the walk of faith. And because of that, I heard my calling, I went to Bible college, I met an awesome man of God, I have a beautiful child, I have a blessed marriage. I wouldn't have had that without Jesus and without him bringing me here. And it's like, God brought me here. And until God tells me to go, I'm here to stay. So we are gonna pastor you with all love and faithfulness. Amen. Thank you. All right. So let's do this. By the authority of God and the church of Jesus Christ based upon holy scriptures, we hereby confirm this day, January 24th, 2016, the calling of Anthony and Jerry Vivid to pastoral elder. Let's all stand to our feet. Let us prepare to pray for them, and then we're going to greet them. Isaiah, would you move this to the side, por favor? And now would you guys stand in front of me, face me. We're going to do what the Bible says, just simply lay hands on you as a sign of transferring of authority. God, as authority has been given to me by the presbytery, by the elders who have preceded us, even those in the past, God, who have preached your word even unto death in times of persecution, those who gave us the Holy Bible, God. With that authority, I place my hand upon them and anoint them, God, for that which they have been appointed for, to govern, to lead, to preach, to teach, to proclaim your gospel, God, with their lives and with their family. God, may you bless them. May you prosper them. May they have all their needs met according to your riches and glory, O oh God. May every trial and struggle that they face bring forth your praise and your glory, O oh God. May they trust you, God. May they walk with you through every valley, God, to see you shine on every mountaintop. As they are walking in their valleys, in their mountaintops, may others walk with them and find courage and hope, God, through life's ups and downs, God. May others follow and imitate their faith as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, it is an honor to walk among with them to walk among them, to serve with them, to love with them. And I pray, Lord, that they will be great disciples, bearing fruit that make new disciples, that make other disciples, who make disciples of the nations until you come back, Jesus. We pray all of this in your precious name and with the saints of God we all say amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for building His church in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. Put on some party music. Greet these new pastors. Take a couple groupies and love on them. God bless you. Come on up. Take some pictures with them.
All right. Whoa. Let's go to John 15. Turn me down a little bit, mon frere. Oh, man. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I don't even know what to say. I probably shouldn't even say that. Just start preaching. But let me just say this. If you guys want to see a pastor get baptized in the fire of God, afresh and anew, please see the first service. And I don't ever want to make you guys feel bad for coming to the second because you aren't second best. You're my favorites. Okay? Just know that. Just don't tell that to the first service because they might tell you I've told them that too. But anyways... No, but seriously, I never want you guys to feel bad about coming to second service because I love second service. We don't have a second service. We don't, we don't have a growing church, and we need to have a growing church because God is growing the church. But here's the deal. Today, this was the first time I ever brought out this message. It just blew me away. It, it just was, I just got baptized fresh and anew. That's all I can say. If you want to see what that looks like, just watch that first service. But I am literally praying right now that God, whatever your message is for this service, that it comes out as powerful as it did for the first, but in a different, unique way. Because there's just no way I can recreate that. I mean, there were so many things that weren't in my notes. Now, I do this every week, right? I know what I'm talking about here. It was different. It was unique. It was different. Can everybody say different? Amen. I just want you to know that it's a special, special service that happened in the first service. And I'll tell them the same thing when special things happen here too, okay? I'll tell them special things happen in the second service. You guys need to go back and watch that, okay? Now, let's look here at the Bible. Go to John chapter 15. Somebody say chosen. Thank you. We are starting off the year in a sermon series for January called Chosen. We are learning about what God has chosen us to do in the church. If you are a visitor here, we're so happy. You're going to learn about everything Metro Praise International is called to do this month. If you've missed any of the past messages, you need to go back and check them out. We started off talking about being chosen in general, looking to the passage in John 15 as the overall understanding of what it means to be chosen. Then last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about loving God, which is the first part of our vision. And last week, we talked about loving people, thank you. And so now this week we're talking about our discipleship strategy, how we make disciples by Connect, Mentor, Send. And guess what we're going to be talking about next week? What do we call it? The goal. We're going to be talking about the goal. And then now you'll understand hopefully clearly why we're announcing what we announce every week about our vision, strategy, and goal. Now let's go to John 15. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Thank you. Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's very important. Does everybody get that? You are Jesus' friends if you do what he commands. You cannot say I'm a friend of Jesus and you're not doing what he commands. I cannot say I'm a friend of Nancy while I'm cheating on her. That is not being a friend of Nancy. Are you listening? I cannot be your friend while I'm stealing money from you. True friends do good things for their friends. Jesus is our ultimate friend, and he deserves the ultimate uh, commitment, the ultimate loyalty. So he said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. By the way, that's the highest rate you can ever be in Islamic faith. I have a book on Islam in the back. You can read it. They believe that God is so distant from man that he never should come down and talk with them. Even Muhammad, who said he received his revelations, wrote the Quran, did so via an angel, an angel. You see, they believe the highest they can ever be is a slave or a servant of Allah. But Jesus, the Son of God, says, I don't just call you my slaves and servants. I call you my friends. Understand the difference between religion and relationship. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. You see, all the other religions teaches God is out there and you're trying to get to please him. We're teaching that God came here to live within our hearts, in our lives. A servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Here's where you get the sermon text for today. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Everybody say chosen. Thank you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. You are commanded by Christ to go and bear fruit. If you are not fruit, a fresh and fruity, rooty to how does that go? Fresh, rooty tooty, fresh and fruity. If you are not rooty tooty, fresh and fruity for Jesus, you are not following his commands. Look at your neighbor and say, get your fruit on. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's time to be fruity. It is time for you to bear fruit. It is time for you to do something for God. He commands you, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in the name of my Father will be given to you. This is my command. Everybody say, love each other. Love each other. Thank you. Now, who gets the unlimited American Express credit card of prayer here that you can get whatever you ask in the Father's name? Those who have been chosen and are bearing fruit for the Father. Think of it like this. All the prayers of heaven get answered on earth. That's why we should always be praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you want a hundred percent batting average, bat a thousand rather for, for your prayers and get them always answered. We need to pray the prayers of heaven. We need to, that's why Jesus always got every one of his answers, his, his prayers answered because he was always doing the will of the Father, always doing the will of the Father. So if you're wondering why you're not getting that Lamborghini or that new sports car, it's probably not the will of the Father right now. But if you start praying for God to help you to give away stuff in your closet, and please don't snap gum because I will then snap on you, okay? I love you. That's okay. But it's just a little thing of mine, and I just got to let everybody know because it's about ready to get hot, and I might just let one loose on you, okay? Thank you. Anyways, this is the deal. You better start praying God's prayer. Otherwise, if you're going to have a whole lot of unanswered prayer in your life and you're going to think God ain't real. But if you start praying what God is praying, you're going to see how real he is. So here it is. God, give me a Lamborghini. No Lamborghini. Now pray this prayer. God, help me to know what to give away in my closet. Give away this. Give away that. See, God will speak to you when you ask that question, right? Pray this prayer right here. God, make me a millionaire. Pray this prayer right here. Lord, show me who I can serve today and help out in life. Oh, you can help your neighbor. You can go. You see, prayers from heaven always get answered on earth. Can I hear an amen? Now, I want you to think about this because we've talked about it all throughout our sermon series, the how versus why. We need to know how to do something, and we need to know why to do something. I've talked about it all up before this, okay? So how do we make disciples? That's going to be kind of simple, but why do we make disciples? We better understand why. We learned before how to love people. That's kind of simple. Don't hurt them. Do nice things to them. But why do we love people? We learned how to love God, kind of simple, but why do we love God? How many have enjoyed the hows versus the whys. Most of you? Okay. Anybody else? I just want to give you one last chance. Only about four people raised their hands. How many of you have enjoyed the hows versus the whys? Okay. I'm batting about 50-50 right now. I got a lot more work to do. Here is how something works. How something works has to do with function. It's knowledge learned and discovered by science. So man can discover through science how babies are born. You remember that example? But we can't discover why. We don't know why because why something works has to do with purpose. Knowledge learned and discovered by revelation. Only God can reveal to man through revelation why babies are born. So we have medical people in this church, and they may be like, well, Pastor, I have a lot of smart people in my life. They're going to tell you why right now because, uh, you know, living organisms, they have to reproduce. Why? 
Why? Oh, because uh, evolution tells us that, they, that, that living organisms reproduce and survive, and then, and then by them surviving in reproduction, they get to last longer. Okay, why did evolution work? Oh, because when evolution got started at the very beginning and there was an explosion from nothing and something happened, then, then living organisms came from a rock and, and then they started having to reproduce to survive. Why did the Big Bang happen? And, and by the way, how does nothing explode and create something? You see, you can't answer why, and it will basically come back down to this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there existence and not non-existence? No one can answer that. Science can't answer that. Science can't even answer why science works. You have to presuppose science works to use science. So if you say, I only believe things that are scientific, I would ask you, can you, believe, can you uh, prove that statement? I only believe things by science. Can you prove that scientifically? Think about it. I only believe things that are proven by science. That is a statement. You are basing your life upon a statement that says, I only believe things that are proven by science. Can you use science in a laboratory with testing and repeatable things to prove that statement is true? You cannot. You see, logic and all of those things that we take for granted to presuppose, to presuppose science are the very foundations of things that come from God. And we talked about this before. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, the review is for you. Come on, help me out. Say it again. Say the review is for you. All I'm doing is going back to the first sermon here that I preached so that you guys can see right here, loving God, going back to our notes, always online or at the website. Here you're seeing that every foundation that we have in life comes back to the triune God. Why is there existence and creation? Why is there life, consciousness, and spirituality? Why are there morals and values? Why is there logic and reason? Why are there natural laws? Why is there science? Why is there math? And why is there a pyramid at the top there that you can live on and have a beautiful life and flourish? It is because Romans 11.36 says, For from him, through him, and for him are all things, and to him be the glory. So math came from Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. Logic and reason came from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Are you listening? Natural laws of science are from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? I want to hear a few more amens before I move on from the introduction. This is a participation service. Okay, can I hear another amen? Okay, John chapter 1 verse 1 shows us how everything comes from God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him, and nothing that has been created was created without Him. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Come on, somebody say amen. I don't need a karaoke Bible. I memorize the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Your pastor was doing all right, okay? Here we go. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through him how many things were made? All things were made. So as we get to prepare ourselves here to, in today's sermon, we need to understand that everything is from him, through him, and for him. Can I hear an amen? Now, when we're talking about discipleship, thank you, sir. When we're talking about discipleship, he's going to be helping me today. When we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about the why of discipleship. Everybody say why. 
Now, I could show you that we have a command in the Bible to make disciples, but i got to tell you why there's a command in the Bible to make disciples. So simply look back here to the notes, and I'll show you this beautiful little picture that I made just for a day like today. How many like the little graphs? Do they help you? Should I keep spending hours making them or just preach to you a whole bunch? I think the graphs help, don't they? They really do. Let's just be honest. It saves me a lot of time. It does. It saves me a lot of time. So think about this. If we were made from Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, all for his glory, then discipleship is a part of that. Now, discipleship, as you're going to learn, is becoming like Christ, is doing what Christ commanded us to do, bearing fruit. These are the people that built the Bible, the church, or, or wrote the Bible, built the church. These are the things God's concerned about. Now, why should you be concerned about discipleship? You're not called to be a pastor, right? You're not called to maybe work in the church. But here's the reason why you should care about discipleship is because you were created to display God's image. You were created in the image of God for a purpose. And I want everybody to look up at me, please. Everybody get this. Discipleship to me is more important than my marriage. Discipleship to me is more important than me being a father. Because if I am not a disciple of Jesus Christ, I cannot be a good husband and a good father. I have discussed this in times past in our other sermons, how good is not even defined without God. I don't have time to get into that, but you cannot even define good without God. God defines good, and God tells us what a good father is. And the prerequisite for being a good father is being a good son, a son of God. Before I can ever command my family or do things in this church or anything I consider to be valuable in this life, I have to know who I am and what I'm not. And I'm not the God of my life. I have been made by God and I'm made in his image to reflect his glory, not for him to get on my agenda. This is about time where I should probably tell you I'm going to offend a lot of you today and you're going to need to be offended because I love you. I will not be rude. I will not call out your business, but I will tell you a lot of you have a messed up view of God, a messed up view of church, and a messed up view of what it means to be a disciple. And I will smile as much as I can, but if I offend you, I just want to tell you right now, I am happy to do so. I am very happy to do so because the things that are offensive in your life need to be brought to bear on you today. You need a day of reckoning with God and that is meant to happen in this church and if you don't like it there's another church down the road that will tell you something else okay but this is what this church is going to tell you listen to me discipleship is everything to God when Jesus left heaven to come to earth, he had an entire array of systems and strategies and ways that he could change the world. He could do it through military and revolution. He could do it through simple teaching and writing of books. He could have done it through televangelism and have been born in the 21st century. When Jesus had the entire wealth of the world's history before him and all the wisdom within himself as God, he chose one strategy and one only to change the world and that was discipleship that's it Jesus is building the church and nothing else if your job is not about the church God is not building your job if your family is not about the church you and your family will perish forever in hell because God is not about you and your family if you are not using your money for the glory of God, you will perish with your money. It will become a cancer to your soul, James says, and you will weep and holler on the day of judgment and say, get it off of me, get it off of me, get it off of me, because it will destroy you as a cankerous cancer. Book of James says that you will weep and howl if you have loved your money and not put, it before, uh, put God before. Listen to me very serious. Discipleship is all that matters. 
This is what Jesus did. When Jesus called those 12 men to himself, it wasn't so that they could start a religion. It was so that the kingdom of light could invade the kingdom of darkness. It was so that the revolution of heaven could come to earth and transform this world. Jesus came not to just die on a cross so that we could look at a dead martyr, but that he could rise from the dead, live within us, give us authority, and conquer this world in his name. Governments will pass. Christianity and the church will remain. Your education will pass. You will find it like sand going through your fingers. Listen to me. Your beauty will pass. Your strength will pass. Everything you give your life to, Donald Trump's towers, all the wealth of this world will pass through your fingers like sand or grasping air if you jumped out of a plane without a parachute. And it will perish. All that remained is Christ and his church. He called his church the greatest names he could ever give of endurement. They are his sons and daughters, considered his bride and his body. Anybody that says, I hate the church but love Jesus is an idiot and you shouldn't listen to them. If you say you love me but you hate my wife, you're not a true friend of mine. Anybody that says, I don't have a calling to the church but I want to be a Christian is a fool and they're on their way to hell. The church is the Christ among us. Christ said, I came to build a church and through the church I will show myself. I'm going to read this to you at the end. Some of you are going to not believe it. And here's the thing. Whatever you don't believe about what I'm about ready to tell you is a lie from the pit of hell. Have no compassion for the lie. Expose it. Get it out of your life. Stomp on it and cast it out like garbage because this part will rock your world. And so we know and rely upon the love God has for us. God loves us. Somebody say, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. If you love God, you will live in God and God in them. That's what separates us from all religions. Now listen to this. This is how we know love is made complete among us and that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. How do I know I'm going to be confident on the day of judgment? You can be confident on the day of judgment. How will you have that confidence? Because in this world we are like Jesus. That's it. Listen to me, my friend. You are expected to be like Jesus. That's who you're expected to be. Well, nobody's perfect. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so we could be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect to be born again. Well, pastor, my other pastor told me X, Y, and Z. I'll pay your pastor $50 to come stand here and give us a devil's excuse why not to do it, and then we will see who's right, my friends. This is the command of Jesus Christ. Don't believe any other lie. In this world, we are like Jesus. It's enough of Oprah Winfrey. It's enough of Lady Gaga. It's enough of politicians on their way to hell. I want to notice, anybody here want to be like Jesus? Be confident, confident. Now, if nobody's like, there's only one Jesus. No, that's not what he died for. He didn't die so that you could be busted and disgusted and live some fake Christian life and then just say nobody's perfect. He died so that you could be born again. He gave you love so that you would know that you're assured that you can be like him. You don't make yourself like Jesus no more than you can make yourself a bird and fly off this roof. You have to be made like Jesus. And why is discipleship so important? Because the very one who breathed into us, made us in his image, says, I, Jesus, want to be known on your job, in your education, in your politics, in your church, in your friendship. I want it all and to shine through every single area. 
Somebody here raising their children saying, well, don't want to give them too much Jesus. That's a devil's lie. Be like Jesus in your family. Be like Jesus. Well, my job might fire me. Get fired then. Get fired. Stand up for something that you believe in. Live for Jesus Christ. Honor. Listen to me, saints, here today in Chicago. Honor the 100,000 Christians around the world who are dying for their faith and stand up for Jesus Christ. Shine for Jesus Christ in your community. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Do your coworkers know that you're a Christian? Does your marriage have the influence of God on it? You see, friends, that's what discipleship is. Discipleship is saying, I will be like Jesus in this world. Yeah, I may make a mistake, and Jesus didn't make a mistake, but he already made a provision for that. He said, if I make a mistake, I should be quick to repent and come back and be cleansed, be pure, live holy, have a clean heart. That's why I was created. You, sir, you, ma'am, every single person here was created to be a disciple. Now listen to me. Everybody, you all listen to me so closely right here because I'm going to snap probably about five more times, but I want you to get this right here. If y'all don't want to do that, I don't care. I don't care what you don't want to do. This is what we're doing. We did it before you came here, and we're going to do it after you leave. You might be thinking, Pastor, is the church bad? It's the biggest it's ever been. It's the most it's ever been. And I have purposely, listen to everybody listening at me so good. Turn down these monitors a little bit, please. Listen to me. I have purposely allowed this church to grow at this pace because I don't want to be some pimping, pimping pastor sissy that is afraid to tell you this right now. I want to tell you as a T.I. is so that I don't have no fear of man in this place. I don't fear you. I don't fear, I don't fear none of you. I started in my house and I'll start again. And the reason why we do this is for Jesus. For Jesus. Not, not to impress you. Not to compete with some church down the road. We are called to be like Jesus. I am so sick and tired of people in every church, and I know this, I'll get to our church in just a minute, but I am so sick and tired of people thinking that church is what we have called it in America. This thing is a pale imitation of what the real deal is. The real church looks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, acts like Jesus, preaches like Jesus, does the things Jesus did. So you better look at your life today. I don't care what stage of life you are in. From me all the way to the visitor, you better look at your life today and say, is Jesus in my education? Is Jesus in how I vote and do politics? Is Jesus in my family? Is Jesus in my community? Is Jesus on my job? Is Jesus shining through me? In other words, am I being like Jesus in the world I live in? And I am so glad people get offended. And I'll tell you why. Let me just tell you this. Do you think Jesus came here to be the friend, the friend that only does what you want? Who have we made Jesus to be? We make Jesus to be. Jesus loves the homosexual community, so that must mean Jesus agrees with the homosexual community. Oh, Jesus loves all the religions, so that must mean Jesus is also a prophet in Islam. Oh, we have made Jesus an idol. Jesus is like some chameleon that becomes whatever people want him to be. It's like Jesus has become meaningless in our world. When I say Jesus, everybody has their own definition of Jesus. Oh, you mean Jesus, the man who supports same-sex marriage? Oh, Jesus, the guy who says all religions are the same? No, no, the, the Jesus, this is the Jesus I'm talking about. The Jesus who whipped people with a whip 
in the Jewish synagogue? That Jesus. The Jesus that, that called the people snakes and vipers? That Jesus. The ones that called him whitewashed tomb? That Jesus. The one that called Herod a political leader a fox? That Jesus. The one that looked at one of his own disciples and said, get behind me, Satan? That Jesus. I'm talking about a Jesus that was up in your face. You don't crucify somebody you love. You crucify a revolutionary that threatens your very existence. Jesus stepped on all of their toes. Jesus wasn't there to patty cake with religious leaders. Jesus wasn't there to make you feel comfortable. Jesus is not an American idol person saying, would you vote for me? If you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you perish, you lose. Why do I do discipleship? Let me just tell you something just real quick. Let me just pull off the mask of church in the world today. The reason why I preach to y'all here and not some big church over there is because I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be some puppeteer of people paying me to say what I can say and what I can't say. I want to tell you what the Bible says. Are you listening to me? And I'm not angry like, oh, I'm all upset. I love this brother. I love you. But I want you to understand this. People are lying to you. They're lying to you in churches. They're lying to you with their smiles. They're telling you this is your best life now. They're telling you you can do however you want. They are lying to you. You are going to hear, so I have so many scriptures I want to get to. They are going to, they are going, listen to me. They, those people are going to burn in hell. I don't say hell lightly. When I preached the whole message on hell, I told myself I won't even smile during that message. It was the most serious message I ever preached if you want to listen to it. But I am telling you, there's a heaven and there is a hell. If we don't get on this, we are in high treason against God. If you don't want to be in it, you don't want to be his disciple, you are in high treason against him. If you're not building the church the way he said, you're in high treason against him. Let me give you some stats. That's why I do my doctoral study. Do you know? Do you know that right now in the church in America, that only about 5 out of 100, 5% even believe the doctrines of Christianity, that Jesus is the only way, the Bible is the only book that's holy, only about 5%. That means 95% of the people going to church today aren't even a biblical Christian. Then out of the churches that are having services today, only about 20% of them even have people in discipleship classes. That means 80% of the people you see in churches today don't know their Bible, don't know doctrine, and are doing absolutely nothing for Jesus. Now, do you want to know what Jesus says to these people? How many want to know what Jesus says? Now, this, now you know why. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I was so fired up in the first service. I was like, there is no way this is happening in the second service. And like the Lord has fully, freshly baptized me again to do this. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. I thank the Lord for his grace and mercy. Some of you are like, man, it's crazy up in here. Yes, it's crazy up in here. I am talking to you about the very important part of why we're in church, why we do what we do. Put a Revelation 3, 16, please. I'm, I'm having some technical difficulties. When you look at Jesus... Jesus is telling you how he's going to judge you. Do you want to know how Jesus is going to judge you? He's going to judge you on whether or not you're like him. If you haven't been saved and born again, you're not like him. And that's the point. And if you're not a disciple learning to live like him, you're not like him. Look at what he says. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to warm you up in my little love hug. We're going to snuggle together. Is that what he says, BZ? We're going to snuggle together since you're lukewarm. It's going to snuggle you up and warm you up. He says, so you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's Jesus. That's your Jesus. You worship Jesus. Who do you worship, Jesus or Joel Osteen? I'm asking you a question. Is your Jesus more like the Bible or Joel Osteen? Is he more like Jesus or Oprah Winfrey? Who do you worship? What's his name? I'm, I'm being so serious right now. Who do you worship? 
Who's the King of Kings? Who's the Lord of Lords? Who's the bright and morning star? Who's the fairest of 10,000? Jesus, who am I bowing down to? Who will silence me? Jesus. He said, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, they argue with them. Look at them. They argue with Jesus. You say, I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. I don't need that crazy pastor. I don't need a thing. Look at me. I'm educated. I'm a middle-class American. I don't need a thing. Look at me. But you don't realize you are. This is Jesus talking. Who is talking here? Who's talking? Who do we love? But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. That's what Jesus says. That's why I'll, I'll lay, listen to me. I will lay down the mic, go down and preach on the streets right now. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. You know why this church does street evangelism? You know why? It's not because I'm trying to build my church like I'm some salesman. I'm going on the streets preaching because Jesus went on the streets and preached. If your sissy, listen to, I want you to hear this. If you, I always preach point this way. Listen to me, brother, my cameraman. Listen to me. If you go to a church where that pastor will not preach on the streets, he is not like Jesus. If he can only get behind here like as if it's some performance, he is not like Jesus. I will be on the streets tomorrow preaching the gospel in front of Wright College, being mocked for Jesus, being made fun of for Jesus. Why? Because I will be like Jesus. They mocked him. They spit on him. Why should I ask for a bed of roses when they gave him a cross of nails? Come on, friends. Wake up today. This is the church of Jesus Christ. You are called to wake up out of your wretchedness, out of your pitifulness, out of your poor poverty, your blindness, your nakedness, and come to Jesus and buy gold. You may say, Pastor, I don't know if I want to do that. That's up to you. Listen, I ain't going to force you to do it. I'm not going to force you to do it. Well, you're going to love me if I don't. I still will. Jesus still does. But you better know what it's like. You better know what's in front of you. The Church of America today, my friends, better know what's coming their way. Do our politics reflect Jesus? Do our communities reflect Jesus? We are borrowing the body he gave us. This is, did you make yourself? We are made in his image, and we're borrowing his life. Every king borrows authority from him. Every mother is borrowing authority from him. Every father, every dollar you have, you're borrowing from Jesus. It's all his. What are you going to do? You better get out there and make disciples. You better be a disciple that makes disciples. If you think on judgment day, listen to me, Americans. I say this because I love you and I'm one of you, but I've been around the world. I've preached 10 hours in one place. I'm telling you, I understand that you're already getting bored. Some of you, you have no idea what Jesus is like. This is all Jesus is about. This is it. I am his newsman. I am his proclaimer. I am trying to wake you up to love him because this is all he's about. The people that you probably respect who built great things, they were about something. Your Savior was about something. He was about this. Do you know that he preached? Let me tell you. Do you know he preached for three days without stopping? That's why they all got hungry. We get bored here. We think church, we, we, think, we think preacher, talk to me for a few hours and then you better get moving. Now, I love our culture, so I apologize from time to time. I told some of you it was about ready to get hot and bothered up in here. But listen to me. If God gave me a word and said, I'm going to start preaching. How long would you stay? Now you say, Pastor, you're not Jesus. I thought I was. The Bible says I'm supposed to be like him. See, I'm supposed to be like him. You're supposed to be like him. 
This idea of I cannot be like Jesus is a devil's lie. Jesus, of course, is unique. He is the Son of God, the great God and creator of all the universe. But if he says, I can make you like me, I better listen to him. How many think I should listen to him? If he said, I can change you and set you free, John 8 says, those who know my truth are truly my disciples. They know the truth, and the truth sets them free or makes them free. Because every little excuse you and I say, well, I can't be a disciple. I'm so busy. You know your busyness is going to lead you to hell? Do you know that all the excuses you put in your heart, that's going to lead you to hell? That is, the, listen, two paths, narrow, wide, narrow, wide. Where is your job going one day? What path is it on? Hello? Are you listening to me? Narrow, why? The narrow road is always towards him. And, and the problem is we in the church, we think that we're going to come through the eye of a needle. We are the rich man. The Bible says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to literally walk and have, an, have a, a needle go in its eye. My friends, we are that rich man. We are the one that has so much junk in our lives, so many extra things that we don't think we have time for Jesus. We actually don't think we have time for Jesus. We have running water. We don't have to set a fire into our stove and have heat today. We have all of these conveniences, and yet we have allowed them to become idols in our lives, and we think we're going to say to Jesus, you understand. He's going to say, you are wretched, miserable, blind, and poor. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's what he says to a generation self-deceived by its own riches. Your own education has deceived you. Some of the smartest people, I'm getting my doctorate, some of the smartest people I know are some of the most God-hating people I know, the most rebellious people I know, because they think they're a doctor, they can play with a little ligament or fix a body, that somehow now they don't need God. Some of you are like that. Everybody look up at me. Because you have done some things in life, you've paid your bills, you've gotten some money, you've taken care of yourself. Some of you have deceived yourself that it's not about Jesus anymore. It's if Jesus is like some upgrade on your Range Rover, and you're saying, well, should I get the sunroof or not? Should I be a disciple or not? Jesus said, it's his way or the highway. It's no way. Are you listening? It's all about Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Now look at your neighbor and say, that's just the introduction. I got two more introductions before I get to the message. How many want to see a video to help calm me down a little bit? How many want to see a video? Watch this video. Watch these videos of this little silhouette people. And just ask yourself this question. Can I get a little volume here? Ask yourself this question. Am I, am I, just to be real honest with yourself, am I doing what these people are doing? Am I making disciples or am I doing something else, calling it Christianity? You see, I can call my marriage anything I want. I, I, I can start having sex with multiple women and call it an, an open marriage. But it's not by definition a marriage anymore. Are you listening? I, I, I could start stealing money from the church, you know, and call it pastoring. But it's no longer pastoring. Let me ask you a question. When will you be real with what you're doing here? When will you be real about what you're doing? Is it what Christ said to do? Or are you calling it something else? Something that's much different than what Jesus died for. Let's watch this, and then I'll get back to preaching at you.
Somebody say, this is church. Come on, say it again. This is church. See, if that's not your definition of church, what is? If that's not your definition of church, what is? If that is not the definition of church, what is? The reason, I want everybody to think about this real quick. If you are not a disciple making disciples, it's because you're lazy. It's because you love other things more than you love God. And it's because you don't want to do what Jesus did, period. You may say, Pastor, well, I got a lot of problems in my life. Jesus fixes problems. Do you not believe he can fix your problems? Jesus fixes problems. Well, Joe, I'm so busy all the time. Your busyness is what is ruining your life. It is the stress pushing you down. Jesus Christ said this. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first part of being a disciple is to connect. When we talk about being connected, we are talking about coming to Jesus and being connected. Stress, anxiety, Fear shows that something is not connected properly to God. Have I felt it? Sure, I have. Everybody look up at me. Have I felt fear? Have I felt anxiety? Have I felt what you have felt? Of course. Am I an alien? No, I'm a human. But Jesus promises rest. Jesus promised that. If your soul is not at rest, you're doing something wrong. It is your responsibility Oh, well, pastor, I was abused. I have all this anger in my, my soul. Give your anger to Jesus. Well, pastor, I've been let down by others. All these people have, have, you know, churches have hurt me. Find a good church. I've been let down. Trust in Jesus, not man. It's on you now. The connection we talk about in this church, it's not something cute like, oh, connect, mentor. No, it's the very reason why you exist. You were created to connect to God. Connect to Him. Connect to God. I don't want to hear any excuse. Listen to me. If we went around this room right now and said, why don't you do discipleship? Why don't you do street evangelism? And if you said to me right now, I'm too busy, I'm telling you, you are too busy not to do it. You are in trouble, my friend. You better do it. If you say to me, I am too burdened down, you are too burdened down not to do it. This is your only hope. This is your only hope. If, if Christ and him making you a disciple is not your hope, what is your hope in? Well, you're going to do some more time management? This is your life, friends. You're not playing around with some calendar as if you're just going to shift some things around. It's going to make your life all better. Sure, that's wisdom. I understand. I understand money management, time management. But listen, if you don't make a declaration in your heart, Jesus Christ is first, you are deceived. You are deceived. And you are the worst kind of deceived. You know why? Because you are self-deceived. I can't talk louder than the voice in your head telling you otherwise, and nor can Christ. And if you heard my, me on the Facebook today or yesterday, I said, pray for me, because how am I going to preach a message that I am the most passionate about, that it's everything inside of my soul, and yet not overshadow the whisper of the Holy Spirit? Because if today, listen to me, if you think, I want you to respond to me to do something for this church, you don't know church and you don't know me. What I'm trying to do is waken up your conscience to what God is saying. Now, some of you may say, Pastor, how bad is the church in discipleship? If you're this passionate, 80% of our church is in discipleship. We have right now 150 disciples, 200 attendees. Take out the children. Sometimes we have numbers as many as 90% of our church in discipleship. I want everyone to look up at me. We are not one of the best in this city. We are the best in this city. The best. 
If I have missed one, have them call, call me, contact me. There is no church I know in this city that does discipleship. The reason why you are in a storefront, listen to me, I feel like, I feel like math, whatever, just do it. What was that guy? Just do it. Who was that guy? I so feel like Shia LaBeouf. Just do it. Do it. Just be a disciple. Listen to me. Listen. listen. I, I love our church. The reason why we're here, I'm not saying bad, big churches are bad because we'll be big too and there's some good ones here. But listen, the reason why we're here is because I don't want a church of 20% in discipleship and the other 80% of you doing whatever you want in the church, making a mess for the church and yourself and anybody in your life. If you come to this church, I at least want you to know that if you're not a disciple, you're doing something wrong. Because here, discipleship is not something we kick to the side. It's not just like, oh, we just do it every now and then. No, discipleship is everything. I'm a disciple. I'm making disciples. Are you a disciple? Are you making disciples? Here's how you start. You get saved. You get born again. You give your burdens to Jesus. And part of what you give to Jesus is your wallet. You say, this belongs to you. And then another thing you give to Jesus is your calendar. So anything that says, I can't do discipleship because of calendar, finances, time is a devil's lie. It's a devil's lie. Everybody say a devil's lie. How many believe in the devil? I don't want to give a lot of time to him today, but how many believe in him? He's the father of what? So whatever Jesus says, he says the opposite of, right? So let me ask you something. What have you been believing? Have you been believing stuff like this? Or have you been believing the lies that he's telling you? He's telling our culture. Well, first of all, he's told our culture is not a God and that we came from a big bang and from rocks billions of years ago. I mean, are you listening to me? Do you, we think it's normal now. We think it's, just tell somebody 100 years ago, 150 years ago before Darwin, you came from an ape-like ancestor. They would look at you like you're crazy. Tell Sir Isaac Newton, the one who discovered modern-day physics, there's no such thing as God. He would look at you like you're crazy. You see, we have become the worst kind of crazy. We don't even know we're crazy anymore. We've become the worst kind of deceived, self-deceived. We need to be woken up. You need to wake up, amen? And you don't need to wake up by watching more TV. You've already seen enough to be deceived by the media. You don't need to buy more Lady Gaga albums and Justin Bieber. You don't need to watch more sports games. Do you know that even just 150 years ago, nobody paid to watch somebody play baseball? My great cousin, Johnny Wyrostek, look, look him up and put him up there. Johnny Wyrostek played for the Reds or Cincinnati, whatever. And you know what? He had to pay his own bus ticket. You, my friend, are a part of a culture of insanity where we pay people to play sports in front of us. Entertain me with playing a sport. You know where sports belong? In your backyard. You know what stadiums need? Is be filled with disciples of Jesus Christ worshiping God. You say, oh, man, Pastor, you're crazy. No, this is what we were made for. You were made for this. Stadiums weren't made. I'm going to say this again because I think that messed up some of your mind. Sports aren't going to send you to hell, but you weren't made to pay to watch a guy put a rubber ball in a metal hoop. You, you, that's, my, that's my great cousin. What, what team did he play for? Oh, so was it? Did I say the Reds? Yeah, that's where he played. He, he had to pay his own way just 100 years ago. We, 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 we have now a video game industry that makes almost just as much money as the movie industry. You, you, I just wish I could just ask you right now, how many hours did you play video games? How many hours were you on your Facebook? How many hours did you spend doing these things? And how many hours did you spend in the presence of God? 
Whose disciple are you? Are you a disciple of some guy with a wooden bat hitting a ball who could care less about you that only lets you watch him if you pay him? Listen to that. Talk about being pimped. Think about how we get pimped by this. Oh, that's my team. I'm such a Cubs fan. That's my team. Oh, that's your team? They have a seat there for you? Oh, yeah, I just got to pay to go there. Well, go there one time in front of the Cubs stadium and go, this is my team. It was my grandpa's team. We love you. And see if they let you in for free. See how much they love you. See, my friends, we've been deceived. We've been, we've been, we've been deceived. They've lied to you. You're in the matrix. You are, you know the matrix, right? You're in it. You're in it. The matrix pales in comparison to reality. You are in a battle of good versus evil, and the devil has put something in your head called the spirit of darkness and makes you think you are living. Without Christ, you're not living. And so all these things we use as excuses. I'm tired. I'm busy. My job. My friends, these are the things that are going to perish. They're illusions. They're here for a moment and then gone. What do we have to do? I'm so excited I'm preaching like this. I'm having a good day. Anybody say amen. If you're having a good day, I hope you are. Get on the right side of truth. Be born again. Be born again. Well, Pastor, my life's messed up. Be born again. If let me, Everybody look up at me, please. I, I know PhDs in psychology. I know psychiatrists. I'm getting my doctorate. I'm on a university. Listen to me. Jesus can't heal your mind where medication can't. Am I thankful for medication? Yes. I'm so happy that it works. But listen to me. Jesus can change your disposition. Do you know that most depressive, manic people who commit suicide were on so many medications? Medication is not your savior, my friend. Jesus is. You, listen to me. You think, you think fulfilling your sexual desires will set you free from them? You think Caitlyn Jenner, you, you, think, you think Jenner destroying his body and pretending to be a woman has healed his soul? If he says yes, he's lying to you. His soul is still hurting on the inside. Think about all you men here who've looked at pornography over and over and over again. And has it ever healed your soul? Has the desire for sex ever gone away from you after you looked at it and looked at it? It only goes deeper and deeper. All of you who have been bitter here, all of us who have been jealous here, did jealousy ever heal your soul? Did bitterness ever heal your soul? We're being lied to. Listen, all the problems of your life are answered in being born again, period. You say, I don't understand that. That's why you better be discipled. You better understand the power that's within you. You better understand that. Listen to this. Listen to this. Greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. I say that to people now today, and they think it's a joke. They think it's just some little silly meme that goes up on Facebook next to what Tyrese Gibson said. Tyrese Gibson said, believe in yourself, and the Bible said you got power on the inside of yourself. They're both the same. No, they're not. No, they're not. This is not do better for yourself. This is Jesus says to dead people, rise again and live. He's not coming to make bad people good. He's coming to make dead, filthy, rotten, pitiful, wretched sinners alive and pure and holy in him. That's the power that belongs to Jesus. You get born again. You get connected to Jesus and you stay connected to him. And then here's the point where I want to get super sassy on is you get connected to a good church. You see, if you don't think this has a part of your life, you've been deceived again. If you don't think this is a part of you doing discipleship, my friend, you can't have community by yourself unless you're insane. 
is unless you are schizophrenic, and I have compassion for schizophrenic people, I know them and pray for them. Listen, you cannot have fellowship with yourself unless you're out of your mind. You have to have people in your life. Now, let's say you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I want a pastor in my life, but not you. Okay, go find him. Go to him. I'm okay with two of you coming back next week. But when I see two of you here, I better know we have the church of Jesus Christ in this place. If you don't like it, I'll give you five churches to go to right now. Here's five good ones. I'm not saying going to the Watchtower, and I'm not saying go to Father Tom at St. Biders. Here's five you can go to next week. New Life Covenant, Chicago Tabernacle, Resurrection Life, Armitage Baptist, in Belmont Assembly of God, all great churches. You want something different, go there. Stop making excuses, though. Stop making excuses that you're not going to do this, that metro praise, because this is just what metro praise does. No, shut your mouth. Put your feet to walking. Walk out that door. Don't come back and go somewhere where a backslider like you can feel comfortable being a backslider. But you won't do it here. Not here. Does everybody understand that? This is what Je- I'm going to get to some more Jesus stuff. Y'all going to be here for a little bit. Unless you start walking now, I don't care either way. It will just motivate me. Amen. If you don't mind walking out in service, I don't mind calling you out in service either. So go for it. You, your turn. Listen to me. I am so serious about this. Listen to me. I'm so serious about this. I gave my life for it. Some of y'all think, some of y'all think I must have been a little beggar on the side of the road looking for a church. My friends, I was a youth pastor in one of the biggest churches in the city. I had over 150 kids coming on Thursday, uh, Thursday night. I had over 75 young adults coming on Sunday night. I had three staffs. I got to preach twice on Sunday, and they prayed me to do it. I got paid a lot of money. But when I was on a trip with my pastor, I said, what does discipleship mean to you? I got hired at a distance. I only met him one time. I felt it was God's leading to go there. We had never even talked. I hadn't even been to his house. Then I sit in a car with him and a trip with him, and I begin to realize this is not on his agenda. I resigned on the trip. On the trip I resigned. Are you listening to me? You are not talking to some yellow belly sissy, no backbone pastor. I stand up for what I believe. I put my life on the line for what I believe. And I started in my house for what I believe. If you think I'm changing it now, you don't know me and you don't know God. Because we are both on this thing. Are you listening? This is it. This is it. This, This is your choice. Do you want to find rest in Jesus? Because I won't accept anything less than you being at rest. You are not coming to me all stressed out saying, well, he's forcing me to be a disciple. No, you won't even join our discipleship course until you tell me you are saved and that you believe Christ is your rest. Because you're not going to say that we are now making you do something. I'm not going to make you do nothing. I can't make you, and I'm not even going to try. I won't manipulate you. At the end of this service, there's not going to be some Amway for Jesus sign up. It's going to be, if you want it, come up and get it. If not, I face the wall. I start singing to Jesus because I had church today. It's up to you what you do. Do you want to be a disciple? First, you get connected. Find a, uh, get born again. Get connected to Jesus and find a good church. How can you do that here? Because how many people like Metro Praise International? Amen. If you like it here, we come to church on Sunday and we do life groups. That's how you get connected here. Now, once I'm, I'm going to stop being sassy and sending you to other churches, okay? But listen to me. Listen to me. Listen, I'm not some abusive stepfather or some abusive husband. Or listen, I love you. I want you to stay. But I will not have you put your junk on me or Jesus here. You will not do that here. You you can do that somewhere else. Because if you're here, you better be honest with me. Just tell me you don't want to be his disciple. Don't play some religious game with me. Are you listening? 
be real. I just don't want to be a disciple. Okay. Well, we'll work with you. We'll help you understand why discipleship is important. We'll have you listen to this message. We'll have you talk to more people. That's fine. But don't play the religious card. I'm too busy. I want to do it. No, no, you don't want to do it. You're lying. Here's how you do it. You put God first on Sundays. You say, Pastor, I can't get off on Sundays. Go to a church that has services on Saturday then. Stop calling this your church then because this church meets on Sundays. Are you listening to me? I got people online calling me their pastor and all that. That's fine. I got books all over the country. I just got another email from Pakistan. We got so many of our books in Pakistan. Listen, I can do a lot of good help like that, help people like that, but I am not your pastor. We are not discipling you unless you're here right here. We don't do no video conferencing here. This is it. I'm your pastor if you come here. If you can't come on Sunday, go find a church on Saturday. Stop making excuses. Are you listening? And then find a life group. If you can't do it weekly, do it monthly. Find a place where you do community. We have them all over the all over place in, in different times. We have Friday Bible studies for the, for the adults. We have like three for the youth. We have singles uh, Bible studies. We have marriage Bible studies. We have single moms Bible studies. We have evangelism life groups. You can find that any group you can be a part of. There's over ten of them. Are you listening? The second thing is, is get mentored. Now listen to what Jesus said. Now this is where I was wanting to get to, and I hope I have time to preach this. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, help him, Lord. Come on, just pray for me. Look at this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's what I was trying to get to. I preached myself so happy right now. <laughs> Believe it or not, I am happy. Look at me, I'm happy. This is what he said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. That's his last word to us. That's what we are supposed to be doing. If we're not doing that, we're wrong. If we're making excuses for that, we're wrong. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying every big church is bad. Right now, my dad's a part of a large Assembly of God church. He just bought 70 books to bring into a discipleship program. It's on my Facebook right now. I sell almost 100 books a month to people online and all these different things. It's not a lot, but it's a 1,000 a year. It's getting the word out. But listen to me. I'm not saying big is bad. If you're going to be big, make disciples. Make disciples. That's all I say. Make the, do what he said. Make disciples. I've had people look at me. I, I am in the first service. They could be my witness. We have sat down with people, talked about discipleship. You know what they said? That's so cool. Metro Praise is called to do that. But our, this was literally what they said. Our church is called to do plays. And I said, plays are nice, plays are fun, but how do you get, go into all the world and make plays and pretend to be Jesus and have Peter, you know, could you, could you imagine this? Peter dressed up like Moses. Dude, do you understand they could have did that back then? Peter, Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, now, Peter, you dress up like Moses, okay? And now, and now John, you're going to be Pharaoh, put on Pharaoh's hat here, and now we're going to pretend to reenact the, the, the Pharaoh. No, Jesus, this is what Jesus did. Do I love plays and all this? Yes. We, we, we could do all of that, but there's a priority. There's a main thing. I don't mind. You can watch sports all day long, but you better put Jesus before sports. Are you kidding the point here? I'm not saying everything is going to hell today. You could participate in this world and not have it in your heart, but just understand it is going to burn. This building is going to burn. This laptop is going to burn. My book is going to burn. Only thing that remains is disciples. That's it. He's coming back for people, not things. Amen. Make disciples of the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the part that fires me up the most. I've already said I'm not going to go through it. I don't like to repeat myself, though I do like to be long-winded sometimes, but I don't like to repeat myself. You heard what I had to say about this. Teaching them to obey everything. That's why we're here. Do you understand that, Isaiah? That's why we're here. 
That's why I'm not over there. I'm here. I'm here so I can teach you everything. Not some secret thing that you have to pay $100 for, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like, like Tom Cruise is involved in. What's he in? Scientology, not some secret thing. You know, well, come here, come here, Isaiah. Here's a secret thing. Nobody else knows it. Not something some of you guys have been into televangelists, you know, these books that they, they interpret the four horses. No, not those goofy, silly things that change every two years like church trends. No, the things you're learning here are very simple. The commands of Jesus. People tell me they want to move on from the commands of Jesus and start understanding the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Listen, if you don't have the commands of Jesus down, you're going to be the ones judged by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You'll have a front row seat to what they're doing on this planet. Hello, somebody. You need to know the commands of Jesus. You need to know how to have a godly marriage. You need to know how to raise your children right. You need to know how to spend your money. These are things God cares about. And help us, please, Lord, this is my prayer for my family, help us to want to do it, to do it with joy, as David said in Psalms 119, that I rejoice more in your, your law than people do in their money. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now watch this. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. See, everybody get this. Who wrote the Bible? Who, who are those guys? What do we call those guys? Disciples, apostles, but they were really called what? Disciples, right? They wrote the Bible. Who, who are the ones that handed down the writings of the first disciples? Disciples. Who, who are the ones that preached to your grandparents and my grandparents? What, what do we call those people? Disciples. And, and what are you supposed to be? Disciples. Until when? Until when? Un until Jesus comes back. And so you are promised, I am promised that God is with me. God's with me. Is he with you? He's with us. Two or three gathered together in his name. There he is. How should we be mentored? Well, we should be teachable. How is it I have people come to me in this church and tell me they already know what I've written in the book, but yet they're not living it? My friends, you are, you're, you're a fool. I'll go through this again. The worst kind of fool is somebody that's self-deceived because you cannot speak louder than the lies they tell themselves. I would rather somebody else telling you a lie so I can say, hey, listen, listen, stop believing that guy. But when you believe your own lie, the only way you'll be awakened from that is by God, God awakening your conscience. Some of the most hateful, meanful people you've ever seen, terrorists, angry. You see, because they have passion like this and they want, they want to tell their father, strap a bomb on them. That pleases God. Now you see how they're deceived because they're passionate about what they believe. You can be passionate and wrong. I want to be passionate and right. So my revolution is not one of killing others. Mine is laying down my own life for others. Yes, there's death involved, but it's my death. God spoke to me. I want everybody to listen to me. Hear this, because God's going to be serious with you. God spoke to me and said, you always talk about the persecuted church in North Korea, the persecuted church in China, <clears throat> in Southeast Asia. And God said, would you send your son there? Would I send my son? And you know what I said? I said, Lord, if you give me another one. Because in my heart, I got so afraid. And I said, I couldn't live without one of my sons with me in my old age. I want to have a man next to me. And God spoke to me, and I believe he honored me, what he said. Because you know what? I understand what it means to send out missionaries. You know that a missionary was just killed a couple weeks ago in Africa in one of the cafes? Do you know that right now in North Korea they have concentration camps, and the majority of people that are in the concentration camps, some of them are forced to eat their own children, are Christians? You've seen the beheadings in Syria. My friends, you are in the last days. And how dare we say that we cannot be taught? How dare we say we can't be in a church and learn anymore? Who have we so become that we have become so proud that we're going to shake our fingers back at the pastors because we can do a Google search and watch a YouTube video and think we know more? 
This is a prideful and rebellious generation. Don't believe what they're telling you. Stay accountable. The Bible says in James 5.16, confess your sins one to another. Confession of sins is not like the Catholics do for forgiveness. It's because we've been forgiven and we don't want to sin again. Get, uh, here, you want to get serious about not sinning again? Confess it to somebody you're sitting next to today and say, ask me next week if I did it. See, we're not meddling. I'm not here to gossip with you. I'm here to ask you, be accountable. Find an accountability partner. Be real with somebody. You say, Pastor, I want to confess my sin to Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, well, then you don't want to get free from it because freedom will come as you begin to be real with the community. James 5.16, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Check it out and think, in case you think I'm making up a scripture verse. You would never know, would you? Look it up. 5.16, acting as a servant. Everybody better be a servant around here. Everybody in the church is a servant. Our Lord and Savior was a servant. Our Lord and Savior gave his life as a servant. How could we now say I'm too good for this? You know, you see a lot of young adults here. You know why? Because a lot of older people don't want to do it because they went to some church for 20 years that let them sing in the choir, let them do X, Y, and Z, and now they come here with some young pastor telling them to go through a discipleship class, and they say, Pastor, if I've already done that, yeah, but if you've already done that, why is your life still a mess? I'll ordain a 22-year-old deacon tell you not despise him of his age, and he'll be a better disciple than you'll ever be until you humble yourself, Grandma and Grandpa. One of the greatest examples of discipleship I've ever seen is through my own parents. They buy the books. They study it. Why? Because they recognize the frailty of the churches that they've been to, the frailty of the information they've been given. It's time for a revolution, and they're understanding the only way I grow is to be taught. You don't know everything. If I was your 22-year-old son and I was a doctor, would you let me teach you something about your body and your anatomy? If I was 22, you know how old I was when I started pastoring 22? You know how old Jesus was? 30 years old. You know how David was? 16 years old. You know how old Timothy was? He was probably only in his 20s and he was in charge of the church of Ephesus, the largest church Paul pastored. Has nothing to do with age. Some of the oldest people, no offense to our older friends here from California, but some of the people get set in their ways are the most rebellious of people. Listen to me. I was at my grandmother's chair weeping, who was brought up always as a Catholic, my Polish grandmother. God told me in my heart that this will be one of the last times you'll see her alive. I was at her knees weeping, saying, Grandma, you need to accept Jesus. Grandma, Jesus died for you. Jesus has a plan for you. She tapped me on my head as tears were coming down my eyes, and she said, Oh, Joey, I go to church. Oh, Joey, I go to church. And I said, Grandma, it's not enough to go to church. My friend, that's a call of discipleship to my grandmother. How do you call discipleship to the people around you? What are you saying to them? We are here to serve them and show them. We will lay down our lives for them. Yeah, because I hold a mic now, but tomorrow on Wright College, I'm a nobody to them. Just asking them for five minutes of their time. That's what your Savior did. That's what he did. He didn't come and make you listen to him. You could have been around Jesus and treated him just like an average Joe. You could have just walked right by him and said, I don't have time for you. And they did all the time. And yet he found the ones who, who would come with him. Do you know what Jesus said to Peter for the first time? He said, come follow me and I'll make you what, rich? Come follow me and I'll give you a big house. Come follow me and you'll write books with me. What did he say to him? Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus' first call to his disciples was a call of discipleship to change the world. You and I have been told other things. You and I have believed other things. You better get hungry for God. Somebody say, stay hungry. How do you do that in this church? I want to tell you clearly how you do this. 101, 201, period. That's it. Once again, if someone doesn't want to do that, find it somewhere else. And I want to say this clearly to you. I want everyone to hear me. This is not a boastful statement by God as my uh, witness. This is not a boastful statement. This is the best. This is the best of the best of the best. I, 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 I can't even... I'll keep, 
You know how I was going to start off this sermon? You probably should listen to the first one. Maybe it came off a little bit nicer, not so sassy. But I was going to start off the first one by sharing the accolades we have gotten. One of my friends pastors a 1,500-member church in, in southern Illinois. He has over 50 churches that he works with, and he's traveled all over the country. He sat right here on this little storefront church, looked right at me, and he said, you are the best discipleship church I've ever seen. He's a 60-year-old pastor. Are you listening to me? Another one of my friends who does this for a living, who writes discipleship materials, who has his master's degree from Moody, who started his own church, looked at me, and he said, there is no other church I know of that preaches about discipleship like you do. Why do you think God is doing that? Why do you think he's raising up a revolution? Because he's saying, it's time, it's time, it's time. It's time to get ready to meet Jesus. You're not promised tomorrow, let alone another year. It's time to be that disciple. And I just wish, and I don't want you to make you think like I'm some controversial person. Wherever, if Pastor Ellie was here, he'll be my witness. Pastor Ellie has been with me. Listen to this, Jacob. Pastor Ellie has been with me. We have sat down with pastors, and I haven't said a word. I don't talk. I don't say nothing. You know why? Because when I was young, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I used to talk all the time, talk about this all the time. I don't even talk about it anymore. You know why? Because it's so precious to me. Because when I start talking about discipleship, I'm going to hold you accountable to it, and we're going to do something. My one friend the other day, he's a pastor. He called me up. He said, we started doing discipleship. It's really cool. I said, why don't you tell me about me? Tell me about it. Let me talk to your pastor and see what you got under the hood. He said, no, we're not ready for that yet. I said, you let me know when you're ready to talk discipleship then. Because to me, it's not a catchphrase. I want to know how you make disciples. It's not a trend. It's not like let's have an hour of service with, with cafe moke lattes while you sit in service and we play you five-minute worship songs about you and, and the dreams that you hope to aspire in life. No, this is about you following Christ and being willing to die for him, being the 101-201. Now, this is where I have to get a little sassy at the end. And if we can have someone play an instrument, uh, a keyboard preferably, or a, do we have anybody do that? If not, play that soft music in the background. Listen to this, Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out and preached how many places? They went out and preached how many places? Uh, where? Where'd they go, guys? Where'd they go? Everywhere. Where do you go? Come on, where do you go? You better go everywhere. You better go everywhere. You see, you and I think we're just going to get away with this, right? Because Jesus went on the streets. I don't have to go on the streets. No, no, no. You better go on the streets. You better go to your neighbors. Jehovah Witnesses knock on our doors and put us to shame. They knock on our doors and they put us to shame. Knock on their doors. Have you ever knocked on the, I have. Knock on their doors. Preach to them. Preach to them. I had one time a man tell me, my pastor, my priest would never get on the corner and do that. And I said, because your priest is backslidden. That's why. My Jesus preached right here. This is where Jesus was. You think about this. This little old church right here has a Bible college. I was, tra I was a trainer of the Bible college cohorts. I was at one church, had 1,500 people, 1,500, close to 2,000 members. They said, Pastor, we can't even get 10 students in our Bible college. How do you have 10 and have a church of that time of 150? I said, because I'm not there preaching to make a crowd. I'm preaching to make disciples. We've graduated over 20 Bible college students in this church with graduate degrees. Two of them now have their master's. One is teaching in the Bible college. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You better preach everywhere. You better get serious about being sent out. Life, my friends, is about the glory of God. Everybody's given their life to what they want now. Jim Elliott, a missionary who gave his life in the jungles of Ecuador, they speared him after he came off of a plane. They thought they were coming to take over their women and their tribe, and so they, so they threw spears at him and killed him. Watch Into the Spear. It's a true story. Watch this. You know what he said? Because imagine that. 
You give your life to be a missionary, to live, what, two hours on the mission field and you die? Watch. He wrote before that in his journal, people ask us all the time, why would we waste our lives as being missionaries? He says, everybody's wasting their life, but what I'm giving my life towards is not a waste. See, everybody has time. Think of time as sand going through your hands. Everybody has it. And you're the one wasting it if you're not a disciple. That's what he was saying. How do we get sent out? Well, we get sent out seeing the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Just a little bit of repetition here. Why do I go preach? Because I see Jesus preaching. Why don't you preach? Because you don't see Jesus preaching. Why is my family going down to Mardi Gras? And I'll be like my 14th Mardi Gras. Why am I going to do that? Because I see Jesus going to Mardi Gras. Why do we go? You know when I came to this city, I'm not a Chicago native. We came to this city, did Humble Park. We've done Humble Park Outreach, Boricua Fest for 10 years in a row. I, I do it. I wish I could get that Puerto Rican pastor to stand right here. Nothing against Puerto Ricans. I love my Boricuas. But I'm just saying Puerto Rican as a sense of that's his people. Out to dinner. What is that? Tasty's, where is that? Tasty's Bakery? Well, what's that place that's on Harlem and it has bakery food? What's it called? It's not Tasty's. What is it? I wish I could remember that. Baker Square. Thank you. Sat right across from him. I looked him right in the eyes. And I said, will you join us for Puerto Rican Fest? He said, I don't go out there. He said, my people are crazy. That's what he told me. It's exactly what he said. He said, my people are crazy. I won't go out there. I said, brother, your church is on North Avenue. You're two blocks away from it. I said, can I bring out your youth? He said, I forbid them. Not only will I not let them, because I asked, in, in, in other words, can I ask them to go and train them? He said, not only will I not let them go, I forbid them to go. That's what he told me. That's what a pastor told me. Why would I lie to you about it? You think I'm lying about what pastors tell you? I have pastors ask me all the time to come preach to their church. I would never go do it. You know why? Because God hasn't told me to stop preaching to disciples, to go preach to their lukewarm congregations so I can put more money in my pocket. Ask me to come preach their anniversary. Now I'm saying every church is backslidden, but just listen to me. I'm not going to go preach their anniversary, go preach their service so that they can feel like they're cool because they did it for a half hour when I came and talked to them. No, prove to me that you're going to have a person that's going to represent what you're representing. Because otherwise, I'm rebuking you with your congregation. I remember one time, I'll keep you here all day with stories. I remember another time I was with the pastor. He was rebuking this woman and this, this lady in front of me. I was like, man, this is kind of private business. But he said, pastor, come and join this meeting. I just sat in the meeting with him. And he was rebuking this lady because she wasn't doing X, Y, and Z. And then he pointed the finger at me because he was upset. And he said, now listen here, sister. You wouldn't want to be in this man's church because he does this and they do this and they do this. That woman looked right back at that pastor and said, I wish you would do that here. His jaw dropped, and I just said, Pastor, that's between you and them now. Get me out of this. I'm being 100. I'm not trying to make myself a saint. I'm just here to tell you what we're doing. You got to see the Lord. You got to see the Lord. I see the Lord on the west side. I see the Lord. We have people, we drive by. I'm not saying no churches on the west side doing something. I'm just saying we drive by 100 churches on the west side to come get their kids to bring them here. When I started the youth group out here in this neighborhood, there's churches all around here. What are you doing? Do something for Jesus. See the harvest. Jesus saw the harvest. They said, Jesus had you eaten. He said, no, my food, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. That's what he said. My, my, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. See the need. You can all see needs right now in this city, don't you? I was out with the Raven team, and they asked me, with all the violence in Chicago, what are you doing? I said, we're sending our best out to preach on the streets and on the sidewalks, and we have a gang ministry. What else should we be doing? They said, that's about it. What else should we do? We'll put more police officers. They've already done it. 
Well, put more churches on corners. They're already there. What is left, my friend? What is left is what we should have been doing the whole time. Make disciples that make disciples. Go to all the nations and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. That's the only thing that we have. That's our only hope. When will we realize that was all that we ever had? And see your personal ministry. Some of you in this church are going to find that you have a great gifting. And you're going to want to use it for the Lord. Give it all you got. You at different times may want to move to different ministries. Give it all you got. All that we ask is that you be responsible. Now how do we believe you can do this? Start by going out and preaching the gospel and win a, win a soul to the Lord. Go get some. Make a disciple for the kingdom. Go get one. Go get a, go get a lost person. You were once lost. Go get somebody. Show the love of God. Preach to them like I'm preaching to you. Sometimes people say, man, they don't need to hear that. They just want to hear that Jesus loves them. No, they need to hear that Jesus loves them and Jesus will judge them. Jesus loves them. Jesus judges them. It needs to come out of your mouth both ways. You can say it with a smile. You can say it drawing pictures. You can do it with poetry. I don't care how you do it. Preach the gospel. What are we going to do in this church? We're going to do what they've been doing all along. Elisha was, a mentored by, was mentored by Elijah. He connected to him. He was mentored by him, and then he was sent out. Peter was connected to Jesus, obviously, mentored by Jesus, and then he was sent out. Timothy was connected to Paul and then mentored by Paul and sent out. You know, it doesn't matter if you call it connect, mentor, send out. The words, I'm not here to hyper-spiritualize something. You can call it reaching up, reaching in, reach it out. You could say to reach one, to teach one, to reach one. The lingo doesn't matter. The point is, are we being disciples that make disciples? Now everybody look at your, mess, your neighbor and say, here's the message. Please be patient with me in closing. If this is your last sermon with us, at least let it be a good one. Amen? Some of you are like, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back, but I'm not going to get up and leave right now. I do want to end the service with him. Okay, well then if this is my last service with you, let it be the best, right? Now you know where I stand. It's so funny because go and get the board for me, please, out of my office. If you need a key, I have it. I want you guys to think about this. How does the church grow with me preaching like this? Let's just be honest. This is a crazy kind of sermon, right? Like you got really intense. I'm, I'm not like not self-aware. Some preachers preach like this and they're not self-aware. I'm very aware of how this affects people. But how does the church grow like this? If I'm not doing bake sales, how are we supporting missions? If I'm not doing red-eye promotions, how are visitors coming? If I'm not doing one-hour services like my friends, they do one-hour services. Your entire service has been done at 2 o'clock. But how are you still coming? Not that board, the board in my office, please, of all the sheep that I had in the second ser uh, first service, please. Thank you. Tony, I love Let's give it up for Pastor Tony. I love him. Awkward. That's a man of God right there. That's a man of God. That's a disciple. Disciples are walking among you. My aunt, 72 years old, was dying of bone cancer. Remember I told you this story a couple weeks ago? She told me she was praying for my, my, my wife who got in an accident. Tears started coming down my eyes. I looked at my Catholic uncle and I said, you have saints that are dead and you believe those are the ones you're supposed to pray to? I said, we as Christians believe saints are alive and they pray for us. Here she is. He got rocked by that. Hello, how many think that would rock your Catholic relative if I said that? This right here is a picture that we took about five years ago when we launched into another building. And there are so many faces here that are gone. But how is it we're the biggest we've ever been? The biggest. We've never dipped down. You saw the end, uh, the end of the year report. Why is that? Why is that? Because what Jesus does, he builds. 
Jesus builds it. You see, when you come back next week, everybody get this in your heart. You may like me. You, you may like me. You may say he's a nice guy when he's not yelling at us or whatever. You may say that. But listen, you're not coming back for that. Some of the most sickening things to me is the self-worship of these pastors. It's so sickening to me because I know how little they care, a lot, about, a lot of them, about their people. They're just like those sports stars. See, that's why when I beat up on the sports, I better be honest with some pastors. See, these sport guys, they tell you how much they love Chicago. They interview them after the game. Well, I just love Chicago. The fans really made it happen for me. They pay them two extra million dollars in Cincinnati. They'll be playing there next week. They don't care about you, right? And it's sadly, a lot of pastors are like that. Not all. Don't think I'm like the only guy, like the last guy here, like I'm some holy prophet. There's many, like in the day of Elijah, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Can I hear an amen? I'm not the only one. I'm not even trying to say that. Don't ever think that. And, and Jose, God's my witness. Jose's a witness. Him and Steve, when they got to the church, they're radical. They're 300. They will die with me right now on the battlefield for Jesus. But I started telling them about some of their posts and stuff. I said, hey, let's not make everybody in the world look like they're going to hell. We're not the only Christians in town, okay? Right? Okay? Now listen to me. Listen to me. But how? How? Now think, now think about this. Jesus, as they were walking along, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. A man said that to Jesus. Jesus, I'll follow you. I, I want to be that. Jesus replied to him, come on, let's go have a good time. You'll stay, in my, you'll stay in my condo. No, Jesus replied to them, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Kind of sounds like what I've been trying to get across today, isn't it? Jesus said right back to him, hey, you want to follow me? You will have nowhere to sleep. We sleep on the ground. We sleep on the floor. We sleep outside. Still want to come? Then some people left. Hello? He said to another man, follow me. He's talking to him now. Hey, come on and follow me. But the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. Now listen to me. If there was ever an excuse, the first one dealt with the inconvenience and the sacrifice you were going to have to make to follow. It's going to be inconvenient. You're sleeping on the floor, and it's a sacrifice. This second example has to do with no excuse is ever valid. None. Never. Hey, do you want to start 101? Well, I don't think I'm ready. I don't have a job. This, this, this pales in comparison. You know, I got a job or whatever. I'm too busy. And I'm just pointing to people right now just at random, not, not just this guy individually, okay? The snapping of the gum, I love you. I think you're still deciding if you're going to forgive me, but I hope that you do because you want to go to heaven. You got to forgive me, okay? Now watch this right here because I forgave you. Now watch. This one has to do with no excuse is ever good enough. No excuse is ever good enough. So let me ask you. I'm not, in, in, in the earlier days, my wife used to do it like this. In the time of announcements, this is literally how she would do it. Everybody stand up. If you're in discipleship, sit down. And then everybody would sit down in discipleship. And then you would have like two or three visitors just like standing. And then she'd be like, we're asking you now to join our discipleship. See, that would put you on the spot. That's how Jesus was, put you on the spot. And you may say, Pastor, that's why people don't want to come to your church. No, that's why people who come to my church stay. Because they know if they're going to do it, they're going to mean it. You're going to mean it. And it better mean something. I'm tired of yoga people trying to make us mean something. My friend next to me does yoga. He goes on two-week retreats and doesn't talk the entire time. They think that's normal for spirituality. And yet you come to the church and don't want to be held accountable to love Jesus. What twisted world do we live in? The Muslim will play fi pray five times a day. The woman will dress up as if she's, you know, wearing the entire bed sheet. And, and no, no disrespect, no disrespect. I'm just being honest, but no disrespect. They'll wear the entire thing, stick out like a sore thumb. And you're concerned about telling people you love Jesus? You're ashamed to ask for an hour off of work or two? You know, come on, we have got this so backwards. Now watch this. Another man said, hey, or Jesus said to another man, follow me. And then and they, and they said, let me go 
and bury my father. Now, what does Jesus say to him? Of course, go bury your father. No, Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the gospel. You go and preach the kingdom of God. So let me just ask American culture this right now, all of us here. Do you think there's any excuse about us being disciples, preaching the gospel, that Jesus is going to go, hey, I'm okay with it? If he says he's okay with you not being a disciple because you have to go make more money, because you have to go hang out with your friends, he has to go back in time and apologize to this guy who he said you don't have time to even go to your funeral. Now, for anybody that thinks Jesus was being sassy about the funeral, think about this. You know what Jesus was saying in other words? I gave life to your father, and I took it when it was ready, and I'll do the same with you. Preach now. See, he's not God's your buddy. He's God's your creator. He was literally saying to that guy, I gave life. In the beginning was the word. And when, right, all things were created by him. Nothing was created without him, right? So he's looking at that person and his other words saying to them, he's dead. That's right. Because I took his life and I gave him his life. So that's what's most important. Follow me. Now, praise God. That in that way, we're not like Jesus. Because that's when you call the police and say you're in a cult. Amen. I am not saying I give you life. But what I am saying is we better follow Jesus the same way. Otherwise, he has to apologize to this man. And still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, I don't have time to explain all of this, and some of you are probably tired of hearing me talk. But listen to me. When I started serving God at 18 years old, I felt like John the disciple. He was the youngest of the disciples. He was so radical. When they were out with Jesus and the town rejected Jesus, the whole town rejected him, and he had to leave the town because they were trying to kill him, and it wasn't time for him to die yet. You know what John said? John said to Jesus, should we call down fire now and destroy them all? That's what John said. That kind of reminds me of me when I first got saved. If you think I'm passionate and on fire now, back then everybody was going to hell. It's like me and like four people going to heaven and everybody else was going to hell. Seriously, I didn't watch TV or movies for eight years. I didn't even drink coffee or eat any chocolate. I wanted to be all these free from caffeine, every kind of drug I could think of. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. But listen to me. I'm not John anymore. I'm Peter. Peter was older than Jesus. uh, Jesus was a 30-year-old man. Peter was probably in his 40s. Jesus never married. Peter had a wife and he had kids. He had a mother-in-law, praise God for that. He had to have the grace to deal with that. And now listen, listen. You know what? I can now imagine this. Jesus is coming through town. I want to go follow Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, I want to do this. I am radical. I want to do this. Can I go back and say goodbye to Nancy? Can I go back and say goodbye to my kids? I have four kids, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, what? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. The first one, Jesus taught us it's a great sacrifice and inconvenience to serve him. It will not be comfortable for you. Number two, he taught us that when we follow him, we cannot put any excuse before him. And then number three, he told us we can never look back. Where did all these people go? Sounds like some things happened in their lives that happened with Jesus. Now, I'm glad you can't make out their faces in detail and think I'm picking on them. But I want to tell you, I prayed for them this morning. Because Jesus still loves them and so do I. But the point is, you have a choice whether or not you want to go. Ask yourself these questions. Thank you, sir. Am I willing to forsake all to be a disciple of Jesus? We can cut the lights and help me land this mamma jamma. Am I willing to forsake all to be a disciple of Jesus? you got to answer that. Number two, do you believe the local church is connected to your discipleship? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 13, we learn that the church is directly connected to our discipleship. Someone who says, I can do discipleship without the church is a fool. And I do not mean that to make fools look bad. I am being serious. I am telling you that if you believe this, you are, by definition, a fool. It is foolish 
Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Who did he give that authority to? His disciples, to make disciples. Therefore, have confidence in your leaders, in your disciple-making church, and submit to their authority. Why? Because their authority comes from God. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. This is, and I want everybody to hear this, this is the part, this, this is really my conclusion and the most important part. This is why I, I want everybody, please look at me. I love you so much. This is why I always do that thing to invite you to other churches. This is why. It's because I will not be responsible for your destruction. I won't. I will not be responsible for it. I remember Drea's here too. She can tell you she visited and was a part of that other church as well. I preached a service like this, both services. At the end of the second service, nobody responded at the end. I fell to my knees in front of the whole congregation. And I said, dear God, forgive us, forgive this nation, and change us, Lord. Forgive us. I mean, it was a big place. It was all packed out. And I just fell on my knees. And I said, Lord, nobody here wants it. Forgive them. I talked to my pastor after the service, and I said, what do you think? And he said, that was too much. You shouldn't have said that. I said, listen to me, pastor. If I didn't fall on my knees, I would not have been right with God. Are you hearing me? Could you imagine being in a church of 500 people, 1,000 people, and a pastor preaching like this, and nobody responding, and all of a sudden you see that guy go to the knees? One of my friend's churches in Texas, they would spend $10,000 in every sermon series. You see these sermons we do chosen? They would do them on movie themes, Avengers, and have these things on their stage, like literally like it was a play. $10,000. You know what? God stopped showing up to the services because he wasn't invited. My friend got grieved in the spirit and asked, what's wrong? What's wrong? One of his best friends says, you don't make room for God anymore. And he said, no, I do. I love God. I'm a pastor. What are you talking about? He said, no, you've made it about everything else but him. And then you know what he said God told him? God said, clear the stage. Throw all $10,000 of that stuff. Throw it away. Sit on a chair and tell the people, I'm sorry. He wrote a book called Clear the Stage. Scott wrote that book, Pastor Scott. I am watching a generation of pastors getting rocked right now. You know why? Because they're waking up that they haven't been watching you. They've been watching attendance. They've been counting the nickels and the noses and the money. And now they're starting to feel there's something wrong. Something's not right here. Something's not right. Our people are turning towards sin. They don't know the Bible like they used to. You look back 20, 50, uh, 25, 50 years ago, Sunday school was a norm in the church. People knew their Bible. They had to be tested to be members. Now they have people. Listen to me. One of the biggest churches, Stephen Furtick, Elevation, look it up. They manipulated people in baptism Sundays when they would say, let's get baptized. If you don't have clothes, we have the clothes. Come get baptized. They put plants in their church to walk down so that people wouldn't think they were the only ones. And they weren't even ashamed of it when they were exposed that this was what they told their leaders to do. Could you imagine me telling you? Could you imagine me telling you that? Listen, I'm going to do a baptism call. We're going to get people baptized today, but they're going to be scared to come. So when I say it's time to get baptized, Cynthia, please get out of your seat and come down and pretend you're getting baptized. Jamal, uh, Shamal, you come down. Could you imagine? They do this. They do this. Look it up. And they're realizing now. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, I'll keep you here all day, wrote a whole book called Reveal. He built a church of 20,000 people, and he found out less than 10% of his people were growing Christians. He said it was the worst day of his life when he woke up and he did a survey of his church of who knows the Bible, who's leading others to Christ. He found out in a church of 20,000 people, only 10% of them were doing it. He said it was the saddest day of ministry. Why? Because they've stopped watching over the people. Do this. Submit to their authority so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Now watch this. 
for that will be of no benefit to you. And then what does it say right here? Pray for us that we may have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Some of you guys aren't my friends on Facebook, and it does kind of hurt, but I do want to read this to you as we get ready to close for the 20th time. I want to read this to you because this is yesterday's Facebook. This is yesterday's Facebook, me calling out for prayer. Now, praise God, I can't show you my password right here. How many are happy about that? How many are disappointed about that? You'd be on my Facebook right now. You put something silly on there like, I'm not even going to say. I only think it came to my mind was crazy stuff I shouldn't say in church. Seeking his face. Watch this. Oh, do I have caps on here? Watch this right here. I want everybody to hear this at the end. This is my heart for you. It's up to you whether or not you hear it. You know that John Wesley, who built the Bible belt, would preach for three hours? William Seymour, the leader, African-American leader of the uh, Azusa Street Revival that transformed America and built Pentecostalism back up, would have ser service for five hours. I don't have a problem with short services. My point is I don't think that people in the church are really listening anymore. And I think me as a pastor, we've got to wake some of you up. And I want you to see this real quick. This is what I wrote yesterday. God is my witness. Here it is. How do I preach one message tomorrow in both services that captures my entire life mission without letting my passion overshadow the whisper of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts? See, I yelled at you guys a lot and got passionate, but did I do it too much where you didn't hear the whisper? How do I celebrate the great things that God has done in our midst through discipleship without neglecting the challenge to go to higher heights? It's easy for me to say we're 80% discipleship. Let's just keep going, guys. Keep going. Ra, 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 shishkumba. But how do I help you to know we've still got a lot of way to go to be who Christ called us to be? How about this one? How do I speak to the heart of every person and challenge them to grow as a disciple without them thinking I'm exposing their personal issues that they've shared with me? Because I bet so many of you thought here today, oh, he's just talking about me because I called him up the other day and I told him I'm thinking about quitting discipleship. And now he made a whole message about me quitting discipleship. <laughs> Poor thing, you. God actually cares about more than you, just you. But it is true, right? Somebody may be thinking that. How do I let the weak know they must change without them being discouraged? Right? Because some of you are going to get discouraged when you start hearing me talk like this. But I had to let you know there's more for you. But how do I do that without you getting discouraged? Now, here's the last thing. How do, I, how do I let the strong know that they have more to do without them feeling pressure to overwork and burn out? You see, that's why I asked them to pray for me yesterday because I wanted you guys to know that delivering this message wasn't going to be easy. I had no idea it would take an hour and a half in the second service. And I want to just share this with just a few more things from my heart at least to let you know. Do you know that this is my second service? And do you know that the leaders told me early on, and some of you noticed we changed some things, to only preach to you 20 minutes? Because it's a 1 o'clock service, it's the afternoon. Good leaders, good leaders, not bad leaders, just under the understanding that it might be better for you. I tried it, and I can only get down to 40 minutes. And then this is what I said to them. This is what I said. I said, I either preach it all or I don't preach it at all. I said, I either give it my all in every service or I don't preach at all. And I even said to Jerry and Tony, Tony's my witness, I said, if you guys want to do it, you can have the service. You guys can do it. And I said, you can build your gift. And for them, 20 minutes may be where they're at as a new pastor. It wasn't to put them down because I don't do anything I don't believe in. But I was just being very serious. I was just telling them, if I don't come to this service and do it my all, I don't want to do it at all.
If you guys feel I'm not the best thing for this fit for the second service, if they're coming with a different agenda and you think we can build the church still with disciples but have a different style of service, because I'm not saying one way is the only way, right? I'm not saying like this is the only way. You know, I'm just saying we got to make disciples. As long as we do that, I'm okay. But they said to me, they said, no, we're still following you here. We're still following what God told you to do. Amen? So what should you do? You pray for us. You pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live in an honorable way. That's my point. Have I given to you the undefiled word of God today? And if not, will you pray for me? The next thing is I want you to see is will you hear and know the difference between your flesh and God's conviction? Because so many of you hear the words of comfort and you think it's God. Let me give you an example of how it sounds. You're too busy to do all that church stuff. You won't get good grades if you do all that. This is how some parents have come to me. I I say, why aren't your kids in youth group? Oh, because they're busy in school. I want them to get good grades. What have you just taught your children? You can go to hell with good grades. That's what you just taught them, right? Harvard was a Bible college, people. Dumb people are not, Christians aren't dumb people. We're very smart. We were were the ones holding stuff down for quite a while. Scientism and uh, new atheism is just new. Sir Isaac Newton, Christian. Are you listening to me? Francis Bacon, Christian. Okay, now watch. Do you know the difference? Because I don't always know the difference, and a disciple has to be trained to know the difference. There are times when I call up my pastor, and I go, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about doing that. What do you think? And he says, man, I don't think that's God. And I go, well, it would seem to be easier. Yeah, but easier is not always God. God said, let's go towards the Red Sea. And they're all going, that's a sea. How about we go around the sea, God? No, I want you to go towards the sea. Your cantaloupe-sized brain is not in charge. God is. Do you know the difference? And the last thing, and this is really the last thing, is am I a disciple being discipled and making new disciples with the church? See, if you're saying I don't need a church, that's folly. If this is not your church, go find another church. If you want to be a disciple, start here. Start here. If you say, I don't know how to be one, that's why you are made one. I have all these problems. God fixes problems. Does everybody get that? In closing, I started off with this, and I hope now that it's meant something to you. The greatest thing you will ever do is be a disciple of Jesus Christ and make disciples. Is there anything else in your life you could possibly think of that's greater than being a disciple of Jesus Christ? I'm just going to ask that Jerry would come. We're going to worship quietly before we leave. This is where I'm the quietest now, right? You know why? Because I'm not going to manipulate you to do anything. The way I was taught as a preacher was this. Start off slow, then end on a hype, right? How many people want to be disciples? You want to live for Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. You want to live for Jesus. Come on down to the altar. If you want to live for Jesus, come on right now. You're going to live for God. God's going to set you free. You ain't never, never going to be the same again. You are going to get your whole life turned right side up. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it's time, it's time, it's time. Who's going to be a world changer, history maker, and a roof breaker? I am not going to manipulate you with my talent and my gift because that's not what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did. He got you to realize the intensity of the moment. He got you to realize the cost before you. He intimately dealt with your excuses and your issues and then he simply 
did what we just read and said, I've chose you to be my friend. Do you want to do what I command and bear fruit that will last? Let's just think about Jesus as we close out now. Altar workers, would you come? Band, would you come? Without any hype right now, who wants to be a disciple of Jesus? If you're not born again, start right now. Get born again. Being born again is a biblical term for surrendering your life to Jesus. All you have to do is just say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and I'm sorry of being my own Lord, my own boss, and doing things wrong. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. That is what it takes. I was born again in 30 seconds at my mother's kitchen table, November 5th, 1995. You can be born again right now. The thief on the cross was born again the moment he surrendered his life to Jesus. There is no steps. There is no religious process. It is a surrender of your heart, your heart. Like, you know when you fell in love with someone and you really recognize, like, man, I love them and I'm going for this relationship. That's what it's like. You know when your mom or parent asked you to do something when you were young and and you had a choice whether or not you would do it, but on the inside you said, I'm going to do it because I know they love me. That's how you do it. That's what faith looks like towards God. It's trust though you haven't met him or personally heard his voice. It's trusting the voice in your heart, the Holy Spirit. It's trusting the words of his scripture written down by disciples. And you're saying, I believe that man, and I love him with whatever I got in me, and I'm confessing what I've done is wrong, and you know what's wrong. It's obvious. It's been in your heart. You've been convicted of it. And then now for those of us who would say, Pastor, man, I'm born again. I love Jesus. Would you right now ask yourself, am I like Jesus in this world? If there is any area of your life, starting with me and with you and everybody here, no excuses, any area of your life that is not like Jesus, would you right now make it right? Walk out of here confidently, as the Bible said, knowing you're going to be judged one day, knowing that you're going to be held accountable to that standard. Walk out of here knowing I'm like Jesus. Do you know why I repent to my children when I lose my temper? Because I know I didn't act like Jesus. I don't want them to think that was like Jesus. So I say, I'm sorry, that wasn't like Jesus. I'm going to go back to acting like Jesus now. When I have a lustful thought in my heart, you know why I repent to God? I repent because I know that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't lust after women. So I say, Father, forgive me. Jesus, cleanse me. Make my mind pure to go back to thinking the things you think about having your mind. Come on, what is the junk in your trunk you need to get out of right now to be serious with God? Jesus, I want to be like you. Change me. Mold me. Make me like you. And now lastly, how many here want to be disciples and make disciples? Put yourself right now in Peter's shoes. And by the way, there was many women in the Bible. Jesus started with about 12. Then they multiplied to 72. And by the time three years was over, think about this, guys, for a minute before we pray this last prayer. Jesus raised the dead, fed 5,000, did the most miraculous things you could ever imagine. After three years of his ministry, you know how many people he had left over? 120. That was the size of Jesus' congregation. Sounds about right if you're making disciples, doesn't it? 
Not if you're just trying to make consumers or followers or customers, but disciples. That's awesome. So listen to me, ladies and men alike. There were many women in that group. They were awesome. They were awesome women. So I want every man and woman to think about this. Am I willing to be discipled here and go and make disciples? That's a simple question. If not, now would be the time to pray about another good church to join. But if it's a yes, if it's a yes, I want you to stand to your feet just so I know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to do like my wife would do the opposite way. But I do just want to know at the end of this, who's born again, who wants to live like Jesus, and who wants to make disciples. There's no reason for us to pretend now, and no one's going to embarrass you. But I just want to know who I'm praying for. And if we have some visitors that are going back to your church, I'll understand. We're going to pray for you to do it at your church. But I want to know who here says, I want to do it. Yep. Starting today. When do I got to sign up? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm going. Father, I pray for those standing up right now wanting to be disciples. Lord, I ask you now to anoint them and use them for your glory. I'm just going to come and just put my hand up on your shoulders, some of you right now. God, I just pray you love on them and you teach them your ways. Teach them your ways, God. God, I pray that my preaching hasn't distracted their hearts from hearing your whisper. I pray that, Lord, they'll hear your heart today. The heart, God, that you give us for discipleship. Would you leaders go pray for those in their chairs that I can't get to? Just go make sure everyone gets a hand laid on them. We're going to close in just a few moments, but we just want to lay our hands on you and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. These are your friends. Who is a friend of God in this house? Who says, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Who says, Yes, Lord. I will follow you. I'll deny myself. I'll take up my cross. Oh, God, I'll go with you, Lord. To the end of the age, God. I'll go, God. I'll go. Even if none go with me, I will go, Jesus. Jesus, today is our day to serve you. Today is our day to love you. To be who you called us to be. This is the greatest purpose of our life. This is where fathers become men and men of God. This is where mothers become women of God. This is where children obey their parents. This is where businessmen, workers, those who build culture, build it in your name. This is where communities are changed. Violence is stopped in its path. Corruption is done away with. This is where the light shines. This is where the light shines, and we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. Send us, God. Send us. Those of you who have been prayed for, where do you want God to send you? Where do you want him to shine through you today? What's on your heart right now, your job, your family, your community? Just pray, Lord, use me. Lord, send me there. Send me there. I know it won't be easy. They may even try to crucify me. But God, send me there. Send me there with power. Send me there with your authority.
in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Send me there, Lord. A few more moments before we go. Thank you for your patience, saints. Send me there, God. Send me to my neighbor, God, to Steve and Michelle, Lord, who come from a Catholic background and who say that they see Jesus and my wife and I and our family. Send me to them, Lord. Send me with your words. Send me, oh God, to the man who cuts my hair, who has had a sex change and is now a woman. Send me to him, God. I don't know how to share the gospel in a way that won't offend him. But Lord, I would rather do it wrong than not do it at all. But Lord, give me the right words to say. Because I won't make an excuse not to do it anymore. Would you just put up the words a little bit as we just pray a little bit longer? Come on, it's not, it's not just for you now. It's for someone you're going to disciple. It's for someone you're going to reach out to. Come on, you just heard my prayer. I, I, I have to witness. Come on, I have to witness to a man with a sex change. You want to talk about intimidating. Where do you got to go this week? Come on, ask God for help today. Ask God for help. Some of you may have the call of missions. Pray for North Korea. Pray for them. Pray for others. Right now, come on. Let's make disciples, Lord. Let's make disciples together. As you're praying, listen, man, you remember when Jesus was carrying the cross and it was too much for him to bear in his physical body? He fell over and Simon came alongside from Ethiopia and picked it up with him and carried it. You know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of us co-laboring with Christ. As the cross is upon Christ, he then says to us, would you follow me? If you will, you have to deny yourself and carry your cross now. And you could just see us coming alongside of Jesus. I'll carry it with you, Jesus. Come on, who's going to carry the cross to the west side? We pick up about 15 young people every week from the west side. Every week they come. Come on, Drea, you're here as you see them. I'm going to even pray this for you as you're a teacher, that you would come to Pastor Susie. If the Lord would say the same, don't just say it because I do it because I do. But I just want to pray that you would pray seriously about it, that, Lord, Drea would come and volunteer so that the kids on the west side would see another godly woman. Another godly woman, another godly leader. So that Shamal, who is now in our youth group, Shamal, would you come up here? I want to pray for you. Shamal, who started off as a child in our children's programs, getting his faces painted at Ohio Park. You remember when we would come to Ohio Park and paint your face and do all that? Yeah. You're not a little kid anymore, are you? Can I pray that God sends you there now to be radical for him? Could you just raise up your hands? Father, I pray Shamal will be what the gangbangers aspire to be, and that's a leader. God, those gangbangers aren't doing it, God, because that's just fun. They're doing it because they feel it's being a man. They feel it's being a leader. But, God, they've been lied to. And so what they're aspiring to is really on the path of destruction. They've been deceived by the devil and like a pied piper. Little Wayne and Kanye West are singing a tune on their way to hell. But yet, God, there's a time for a revolution to come. There's time for another tune to be sung. There's time for another leader, another kind of leader, a godly leader to rise up on those corners. One that carries his Bible. One that lays down his life for his brothers and his sisters. 
one that stands up in Ohio Park and preaches like John Wesley did. Shamal, I want you to close your eyes and use your imagination as best as you can. Come on. And nothing wrong with sports, but they teach you as a young African-American male to, to dream about basketball, to dream about entertainment. Young man, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to dream about the glory of God. I want you to dream about the glory of God and where you see yourself serving Him. Is it in the business field? Is it in commerce? Is it in the schools? Is it in politics? Use your imagination for the glory of God because to do anything less than that would be selling out. Right now, right now. Do you know that back in the day it used to be baseball? Billy Sunday was an awesome baseball player, and God said, would you give up baseball to be a great preacher? And he said, yes. Come on, give up something for Jesus today, and he'll give you what's in his hand. You let go of what's in your heart, and God will let go of what's in his hand. The blessing of God is worth more than money. Do you know that when I worked in New Orleans, I worked in nine different housing projects. The main ones were all the rappers then came from, the Hot Boys, Magnolia, Fifth Ward, Wheezy, and Master P, and No Limit Crew. Do you know what? Death and destruction followed them. See, murder was... Uh, was uh, Master P's brother, you know what? He got murdered. You know why? Because he had death all around him. He couldn't see anything but death. But you know what? This young man named Joe from the Calio, Joe from the Calio said, Pastor, I want to be a disciple. I would have hundreds of teenagers come. I would bust them in. I would do rap concerts. But Joe was one of the only ones who said, I'll be a disciple out of hundreds. Do you know where Joe had to do his Bible studies at and the lessons that we would give him? He would do it in his bathroom because his house was used for drugs as his mother had men coming in and out. But you know what Joe did? Joe got great grades. He was in ROTC. He graduated. He went to the military. He went and did awesome things for our country. Now he lives in Virginia. He's married. He has two kids. And then it was time for him to get married. Do you know who he called to be his best man? His pastor. And I told him, I said, I have done many weddings. But being your best man speaks more volumes than anything I've ever done. Because, Joe, I've seen what God's grace did in your life. Shamal, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to do it again with Jesus? Do you want to be a testimony of God's grace? Because he will shine through you. And let me just say this for you right now. As you see those streets, that's not the way they always used to be. The African-American church used to be the strongest church in our country. The pastors used to be the greatest leaders. The cloth that Martin Luther King Jr. was cut from was from the greatest of leaders. What you see today is a fall from that grace that God put upon them. I call you, man of God, to stand up and dig back that well. Drink from those depths of the, what those men purchased for, what they led out their people for, and to be the leader that God destined you to be. Can I hear an amen? I love you, brother. Go be a light in the west side. Just a few more moments. God is speaking. Come on, God is speaking. Where are you going with the gospel today? Where are you going to go? What world are you going to change? What world are you going to change? Did I ever tell you about Mike, my waiter who was hooked on crack, living out of a temporary shelter in New Orleans? Did I ever tell you about him? Let me tell you. I talked to him as a waiter. Some of the best encounters you'll ever have with strangers are waiters. They're paid to serve you. If you talk nice to them, they'll listen. If you tip nice, they'll listen. I kept coming in, talking to Mike, building a friendship. One day I could see Mike was tired. He was, he was wore out. I didn't know he was on drugs, but I, I said, man, can I help you in any way? 
We talked. Long story short, he called me up, told me his story. He came in to live in my house. I brought in over 30 homeless people in my house over my lifetime. He came to my house. He gave his heart to Jesus. I sent him to a program. Eventually, I moved from the New Orleans to Chicago. I went back to New Orleans to do a Mardi Gras after Katrina. There was a man on a fort truck, fort, fort truck loading up supplies for the Katrina relief. I saw him out the corner of my eye get out of his fort truck and start running towards me. He was a big guy. He ran towards me, picked me up, threw me around. It was Mike. And he said, brother, I'm happily married now. I have kids. It was because you reached out to me when I was a waiter on crack working in that restaurant. I could keep you here all day, friends. Who are you reaching out to? 30 more seconds. Give it up for someone right now. Sacrifice for someone right now. Say their name. Pray a prayer. Ask the Lord to use you. And we'll see where this church goes, right? Come on. We'll build it like Jesus built his church. Because he's still doing it through disciples. He's still doing it. He cares about people. Jesus, use us. Use our feeble gifts, the little we have, the little we have. Use it for your glory so that when we bear fruit, it remains. I'm going to ask that one of our new campus pastors would close us out of this epically long service. But I pray that as they do, we would leave out of here living like Jesus as disciples. Nothing less, nothing less than God's best. Hallelujah, Lord. God, we thank you for meeting us here today, Lord. God, I just pray right now that this word would forever remain in our hearts, God. God, that we would be disciples, Lord God, be your disciples. And Father God, forgive us if, if we had forgotten about that call that you've given us, Lord God, and to just give us new hearts, Lord God. Replace our hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, Lord God. Your heart, Lord Jesus. Lord God, that you would give us hearts, Lord God, for the people in our communities, and our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, Lord God, co-workers. Use us, Lord, to reach out to them. Oh, Lord God, to reach out to them with the love of Jesus. Lord God, I thank you for everyone here today. God, let this word, let this word resonate. Let it be real to us each and every day. From the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep and wake up the next day, Lord God. Lord God, help us, Lord God. Guide us. Use us to be your disciples, Lord God. And I thank you for everyone here, Lord God. I pray that you will keep them safe, Lord God. Bless them and anoint them, Lord God, as they go out, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Altar workers, would you guys come back up? We're going to leave out worshiping, praying. If you have any prayer requests, come on up. And if you have any question about the message, I won't dodge any questions today. I'll actually answer it as well. But God bless you. Have a great week. You don't have to stay seated anymore. But I just want to let you know we're here to pray for you. And we're just going to play this song and worship a little bit. And I'll be on the side here if you have any questions. But thank you for coming today. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Amen. And just turn it up until he gets it. You're my all. You're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Jesus.
you put up a little bit more? Power of your rhythm. Just a little bit louder so we can hear it. And to know you in your suffering. To become like you in your death, my Lord. So is you to. Would you come and sing this? Come on. You're my joy, my righteousness. You're 